Let's get it going. It's time to get up. The 2020 Masters. The long-awaited Masters has a long-awaited champion in Dustin Johnson. These guys are here to break it all down. Got to launch it. He does. Left side into the end zone. Jump ball. And it is... Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown with one second left! I can't believe it! You've got to be joking me! Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You play to win the game. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Monday, November 16th. This is the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski not there today as uh, he continues to recover from his hernia surgery, as he shared with all of us just a few days ago. Uh, Perry should be back in the saddle tomorrow. So who steps in? We go to the bullpen. Actually, no. We go to the primetime slot. Weekday afternoons, 4 to 7, here on Sportsnet 650. And we get nasty with Bick Nasty. Bick Nazar in the house, stepping into the morning slot. How are you, man? Oh, good morning. I'm going to try my best not to yawn. It'll be okay. I trust you. But uh, <laughs> this is fun. I'm psyched. You're psyched? I'm looking forward to this, man. Uh, for, for those of you that uh, don't catch Bick in the afternoons, Bick is uh, our fantasy guru expert. He is such a fantasy guru that when we first launched the station, every show had booked him um, every day, and, and then the boss had to step in and say, too much Bick. Too much yeah. Bick. He had to squash that at one point where everybody was calling you to start. But, uh, but because you get results, man, like you – you know how to crunch the numbers. You're like your locks of the week have been like on fire this year, haven't you? Well, they have been. Uh, this past weekend was a, a, a rough one, but it was our first losing week uh, so far this year. So yeah, it, it's it's been going pretty well. But uh, you, you're hyping me up on on off of a bad weekend, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Well, I mean, look, we get, you know, the audience gets stuck with Perry, you know, for three hours a day, five days a week. Like, you know, I'm trying to sell, I'm trying to sell some hope here for the audience and for the market here this morning for the next three. Man, come on. We're, we're selling hope with Pick, man. Like, uh, I'm trying to pump your tires here. Um, here's what we got coming up over the next uh, three hours here. On Sportsnet 650, uh, as always, the Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business uh, at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbuta Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. At Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, Joanne Pollock is going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes from now. Uh, Back in the late 1980s, Joanne Pollock was the general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders. You know, there, there's the Canadian Football League making history again um, with the first female general manager in North American sports. And over uh, on Friday, just as we were essentially signing off, um, Kim Ng was named the general manager of the Miami Marlins, the first female of the four major North American sports here. And that news conference is set to go a little later on this morning. Her introductory news conference uh, with the Marlins set to take place uh, via video conference uh, in the world that we're in right now. Um, but Joanne Pollock will join us and, and kind of speak to her own personal experiences as being a pioneer for women uh, as a milestone announcement uh, over the last few days and welcomed openly 
Uh, so that's coming up in a few minutes. Natea Jay, our uh, Monday morning quarterback, will also drop by coming up uh, at 7 o'clock. We'll go around the National Football League with uh, Natay coming up in just uh, in an hour from now as well. And your Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, a little bit of Canucks news uh, kind of creeping up. The NHL Network re- releasing their list of the top 20 setters in the game. We'll get to that. The Canucks have a new jersey set to drop later today as well. And uh, a lot of talk these days about Gino Ojek going into the ring of honor as well. So we'll get into all of that over the course of the morning as well. Bick, I, I guess we could dive into what went down yesterday. And I guess first things first, I want to get to the Seahawks in a moment, but Dustin Johnson wins the green jacket yesterday. Impressive fashion as he sets a record uh, at Augusta National uh, to win, finishing at 20 under. Um, you know, no no meltdown this time in the final round where, you know, this guy had been over in chasing, uh, you know, in ch- with a lead going in or having a piece of the lead after 54 holes. He had this tendency in majors to just crumble on Sundays. Not yesterday. Uh, he picks up his second career major, and I'll tell you what, he is the first number one ranked player in the world to win the Masters since Tiger did it in 2002. Shout out to Tiger for doing something that uh, made us all realize we can do something Tiger can, and that's take a 10 on a hole. Um, but, you know, like I, it, there's a really nice story here. You know, There's the Gretzky lineage and all of it, but... Is it funny how we are in 2020 as as unique and as difficult and challenging these times have been? The heavyweights have kind of taken care of business in every sport so far this year. I, I Yeah, that's absolutely true. But I think in general, like heavyweights recently, I'd say in the last seven years, it's been pretty chalk as far as who's winning championships. And I feel like we just... We like underdogs more. We like the stories of underdogs more. But I think we just remember underdogs more. And and chalk wins. Like we've seen the Blackhawks win a, a host of championships here. We've seen the LA Kings win a couple. We've seen the Penguins. Like all yeah. heavyweights in the sports. And the, the only outlier you could say in the NHL of the last what nine years, ten years, would be the Blues. But Look what they've been, but they had been, but yeah, but they had been perceived as a heavyweight for several years as it was, but just never could get the job done. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And and they followed it up with being the number one team in the West. So they they had a short run of of like a a high level sprint, obviously coming back from where they were last season. But I I just think we're in a stage now where because of how smart teams are, and if you want to give credit to analytics and all that sort of stuff, that's fine too. But I just think we remember underdogs more. Uh, for instance, like Mike Tyson, right? Like who, who who knocked him out, James? Buster Douglas. We all we all remember that, right? Like unbelievable sports moment. Mm-hmm. Tenth round, I want to say like a minute twenty into it, whatever it was, knocked him down. Never happened before. But like I couldn't name you the five guys Tyson fought before that, or the five guys Tyson fought afterwards. But because it's this memorable knockout, we we remember it a lot easier. When by and large, like Mike Tyson whooped a lot of people and yeah. he dominated a lot of the time. It's just we we remember underdogs more than we like to think underdogs win. Yeah, no, it's just funny. Like the Lightning won the cup this year, and if somebody said to you before the season started, like, "Hey, uh, I looked into a crystal ball, and Tampa's going to win it," you'd be like, "Okay, yeah, that makes sense." Lakers win the NBA title. They were betting favorites going in, right? Or at least one of the top two or three. Uh, you know, Bayern Munich, were we shocked that Bayern down the stretch, like, 
you know, winning the Champions yeah. League. The Dodgers win the World Series. Like, they were pretty much the favorites from the time the season started. And then Dustin Johnson, the number one ranked golfer in the world, wins the Masters. And this guy had COVID a month ago. Mm-hmm. Like, Bick, talking about kicking COVID's ass. Not only recovers but, from it, then wins the Masters a month later. Not bad. Is it? Suppose everyone's hoping a green jacket is is a vaccine or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, and, and whole hum here, like the Kansas City Chiefs are the team nobody's talking about in the NFL. I know they're they're on their way. They're defending Super Bowl champions. They're on their way to you know being powerhouses in the Super Bowl once again or in the playoffs once again because everyone's concerned about every other team. The Ravens losing last night to the Patriots. It just doesn't feel like there's a, any sort of contenders anymore for overwhelming favorites and i'm do you think yesterday dustin johnson and and the crowd or the lack of played any factor in it you know we talked to stephen ames about this on on friday here on this show and he thought that it would have an impact um you know from a mental standpoint allowing some guys to just kind of relax a little more and and not necessarily feel as unnerved right um you know, was Paulina's green jacket that she was repping yesterday? Was that a distraction? That's uh, no, that's uh, positive imagery, right? That's like, oh, <laughs> that was a very positive imagery. Yeah, I think a lot I'm of people for like yeah. that's what I'm going for here. Like, I'm going to be wearing that green jacket. Yeah. There's my wife wearing that's it. The, yeah, that's the content I came it. here for. Yes, exactly. Um, you, you know, you touched on the Chiefs being the favorites. Uh, let me segue into this um, because. Nobody's really been talking about the Chiefs this year. They've just kind of a whole hum gone about their business with an eight-one record. But is the Russ MVP talk now over? It's uh, he, he's throwing it away himself too. That's the other problem. Literally, it's yeah, literally. When you're making bad decisions, like Russ's best attribute is his post-snap decision making, and that has gone by the wayside here these last three weeks. And yeah, when when. You are playing like Jameis Winston, and that's not hyperbole. That's what he's doing right now. We saw Jameis Winston throw 30 for 30 last year. Russ is throwing interceptions at a higher rate than he ever ever has, and that's how you throw away your MVP candidacy. He's as talented. He can put up the numbers as Patrick Mahomes, but he is really struggling at, at what his best trade is right now. It's the the improvisation. Seven Seven interceptions in the last four games for Russ. I mean, the whole you know the whole slogan for the season has been "Let Russ cook," but he's kind of serving up week old leftovers right now. I mean, ten turnovers in the last four games. You know, this team suddenly dropped three of four, and you know, I think the NFC, in fairness, pick. I think the NFC is still wide open. Like, I don't think there's one team that you go, "Ooh, look out!" I would not want to play them. Right, I mean, there's legitimately the any given Sunday this year. I think in the NFC, the East is a write-off. You know, the Packers are probably the only team in the North. You know, you look at the West. I mean, you got three teams tied for top spot. Thursday night might be your telling sign right there, right? Um, and then, like, you know, I guess you look at. Yes, the Saints might be the team, but depending on how long Drew Brees is out, like, I'm not taking a Jameis Winston team. I'm not trusting the that. Seahawks woke up yesterday as uh, first place in the NFC West, and they went to bed at as third place in the NFC West, and more importantly, the seven seed in the NFC. It is uh, a turbulent time in their season right now. 
Yeah, I still think the Seahawks are a playoff team. It's just a question of where they'll ultimately land. But again, this weekend is a huge, or, or Thursday night, three days from now, uh, a huge game with the Cardinals, with Kyler, who pulled off a miracle. We'll get to that in a few minutes as well. But first things first, joining us on the line, as we mentioned, uh, later on this morning, uh, Kim Ng, the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, will have a uh, introductory video conference, uh, becoming the first female general manager in Major League Baseball. And somebody who can certainly empathize, they're kind of like the original unicorn going back 30-plus years ago is our guest at this time, Joanne Polak, uh, who was the originally the general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders. Joanne, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Nice to connect once again. And, and, and Joanne, maybe like give us a sense, like what did that announcement uh, mean to you or what went through your mind when you saw that announcement uh, over the weekend? Well, honestly, first I, I saw it on Twitter. I saw um, actually uh, somebody, you know, tweeted out. So I, right away I, I read it. And then I, I sort of started to look her up and learn more about her. And I thought, wow, this is, she is something. And look at her qualifications. And then somebody said, oh, she's, she's, you know, then I realized that she was the first in Major League Baseball and really the first in, in the U.S. And, and at the time, everybody said, you know, she's the first ever. And then some um, helpful Canadian fans corrected that. But uh, I really started to look at her story and see that she is the real deal. Like, this woman is remarkable, and she deserves this job and probably should have got it, got a GM job a few years ago. Well, you, you, you highlighted that at the end there of, of just uh, clearly this is something that should have happened years ago. Or are you surprised that it's been this long from when you were managing a team to now? Shocked. And, and in fact, I... Um, I, I just assumed that there had been some others that had happened that I just didn't know about. Honestly, um, I didn't. Um, I, 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 I just figured if I if I looked or if I Googled or if I, you know, sort of spent any time looking at the other leagues that I probably would find someone. And then when it became such a big deal, in, especially in the U.S. media and in the Canadian media, that she was the first. I just it kind of took me aback. And I, I realized that if, if 30 years ago when I was when I had the job, if someone told me I would be having this conversation 30 years from now, I would have thought that that was inconceivable. Joanne Pollock with us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. So when you go back to the day that you were hired by the Ottawa Rough Riders, you know, did you have did you understand like the history of the of the announcement at the time or were you just kind of hey this is this is kind of cool like i got a seat at the table here well i well both well first i knew it was a big deal because of the amount of media attention it got at the time mm-hmm. like it was a it was a big big story at the time there were a lot of people who you know who were you know we didn't have as much sports radio as we have now but there were a lot of people who were saying this is a bad idea she'd ever played football she couldn't really know anything about it what is why does she belong and then others who were on my side so it was quite a conversation but but something that i that i forgot about very quickly when i got right into the job of of, of you know trying to run a bankrupt franchise so the whole um woman it, it was very much woman in a man's world and all of the first female and all that that just ended up being annoying noise to me when all of a sudden I'm just trying to make payroll and I'm trying to keep a, a franchise afloat at, at was I would ar- say arguably one of the most difficult times in CFL history. Well, 
that that white noise element to it is because the job of being a general manager is already difficult enough. And I think there's a lot of misguided yeah. ideals of, well, if you inject a woman into the franchise or as a, as a power position, there's all these other elements. Did you ever experience any obstacles outside of the actual jobs job description? Lots. I mean, there was, again, in mind, it was a different time in society. Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, of pretty stuff that would never be tolerated today. You know, there was one uh, coach of the year conference or coach of the year dinner was held at the Weston hotel in Edmonton and it was broadcast on TSN. And uh, three of the, of the uh, coaches basically got up and told raunchy Joanne Polek jokes and everybody was laughing and the camera was on me. And I was just like, that was annoying. But, uh, you know, but, but I couldn't look like I was pissed off and I couldn't look like I was laughing. So I had a headache. Then I went up to my room and the phone, the light was on and I called and it was my mother. And my mother and father had watched the whole thing on television from their home. And my mother was in tears, you know. So there were moments like that that were very difficult, mostly because they were difficult for other people. But for as many people who were in that camp, there was way more who were in my corner and who wanted me to succeed and who were on my side. And that included my whole team, all of the players, um, all of the f- football fans in Ottawa, pretty much. I mean, we had, they were in my corner. So it was, I always look at the positive things that were happening, which far outweighed the negative things that were happening. Do you think that here now in 2020, the landscape has changed that much? You know, there was, <laughs> my better half, she was just sharing with me a story or a report the other day that it'll take a hundred years from now before we see equal pay for men and women in the workplace. Um, do you think that, do you think that, that Kimming is still going to have to deal with barriers to break down here in 2020, Joanne? No, I think she's just broken down the big barrier. Um, you know, there's a lot of other people who are going to have to break down barriers, but I think she, she's accepted. She's respected. I think the people in the industry, I think the people in sports are really good people. They're progressive. They're younger, um, yeah, younger than me, everybody's younger than me, but I think they're, they're good people. The problem with professional sports is it's a culture of insecurity. So people who are basically at the helm of professional sports teams and who are executives at, speci- uh, at ex- professional sports teams, they're running a multi, multi-billion dollar businesses and they um, are in the spotlight like the rest of business and society isn't. So every move they make is, is you know, basically covered by you guys. And they also, it, it's a very nomadic business. So, you know, you're in it for a few years, you're fired. You move on to the job. So that creates a culture of insecurity. That's why you find often when a coach, a head coach is hired, he only brings his group with him and people he trusts because they're always looking over their shoulders going, is that guy going to stab me in the back and try to get my job? Like, that's what, the, that's what it's like. So it's very difficult for anybody in that kind of a dynamic or that kind of an environment to make big, bold choices like this like i think there's a lot of people who thought kim is really the right person for the job but do i really want to be that much on the radar well it takes a guy like Derek jeter right who's got his legacy cemented who doesn't have this the insecurity that others would to go hey this is a great idea and she he worked with her at the yankees she absolutely is the best person for the job joanne what's what's the next step to you as far as how does this become we're spending two days, four, four days talking about this. Uh, what's the next thing that has to happen that this becomes normalized? You got to fill the pipeline. There has to be a lot of jobs that have to look, because look, at it took Kim three decades, 
right, to work her way to GM. The pipeline is very thin when it comes to women. There are very few, um, I think there are very few women at the executive table. It's, it, there's more. You know, back in my day, there was none. You know, so a, a good example is in the NFL. Well, one sec, sorry. In the NFL, um, you know, there's there was only, a woman just got fired last week. She was the only uh, VP of communications in the entire NFL. Well, a VP of communications, that's a, women have been dominant in that field for 20 years. There's no reason why the, the, um, you know, the NFL only has one VP uh, who's a woman, uh, you know, a VP of communications. So the pipeline and all of those other jobs have to fill up and then allow them the chance to be able to work their way up to general manager. And so right now I'm not, I'm not sure there's a lot of Kimmings in the wings because I'm not sure that there's a lot of people there with her, as she says, decades of determination. Joanne, uh, you were the original boss lady, and it, uh, it's unfortunate that it took, what, 30-plus years to see another one. But uh, thank you for kind of sharing your own experiences, and, and hopefully this is now the, as somebody who's a father of daughters, here's hoping that uh, this becomes more the new norm going forward. No, you're, you're very welcome, and thank you for being interested in my story. And one more thing, before you get to that uh, Bills-Arizona game, um, <laughs> you know, go easy on my poor Buffalo Bills. Oh, was that a heartbreaker? Or what? what was your reaction to that? It never should have caught down to that play. The Bills played hor- – their offense was horrible, and their offense shouldn't have been. I mean, the penalties, you know, interceptions, the punt, the, that punt that resulted in three points. By the time it got down to that, that last, uh, you know, that, that incredible catch in the end zone, it never should have got to that. That's my oh, <laughs> I, I, I empathize. Uh, you know, watch so many lean Bills years. Uh, I still think they're for real in the AFC, but, yeah, that, that one hurt, Joanne. Uh, you got a week to shake it off, though, okay? Yeah, that's they're going to be they're going to be thinking about that for two weeks, and that's not a bad thing. Oh, thank you. You take care over there. Thanks, Joanne. Okay. Bye now. All right, there she is, uh, Joanne Polak, uh, the former general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders back in the late 1980s, early 90s, uh, and reflecting on uh, her own personal experiences as to uh, Kim Ng taking over as the general manager of the Miami Marlins, her introductory news conference set for later on this morning, and still trying to digest WTF yesterday as Kyler Murray magic does it again, Bick. How about that finish on that Hail Mary yesterday? It was uh, devastating to a Seahawks fan like myself, uh, you know, <laughs> in a group chat with a lot of Seahawks fans, and and the Bills score with what twenty nine seconds to go or whatever it was, and it's like, oh, way to go, Bills are going to win. That's great for the division because Seahawks are going to lose, and then somebody just throws in a rogue uh, Cardinals one, and we we all laugh. It's like whatever, we turn that game off. We're all watching uh, the other game, and it's like no, 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 they won, and I had to go back and rewind the app and look and. Oh my God! Just heartbreaking for for Bills fans and Seahawks fans also because uh, they kind of need that result. And, and jo- Joanne kind of making the point that the Bills go into the bye week like what a way to go! Like think about that, mm-hmm. right? They were ten seconds away to walk away, going into a bye, saying, "You know what? We just took care of the Seahawks and the Cardinals in back to back weeks. Two teams that look like they're both playoff bound in the NFC." And what's that perception and still kind of keeping that gap from the Miami Dolphins and then to kind of, oh, to, like to have that and to have that linger for two weeks. I mean, there's motivation to kind of to, to wake up. But at the same time, like, oh, is Kyler Murray and, and, now is Kyler Murray now the, the, the shiny new toy? Like, is he this year's Lamar Jackson? Is he the new is he the new Russ? Like everybody's kind of jumping on Kyler Murray now. 
it's funny too because preseason, especially in fantasy drafts, everyone wanted this year's Lamar Jackson, and everyone's eyes immediately went to Kyler Murray. It's well, he's a running QB, and he's coming off of his first year as a real NFL QB, and he runs, and so why wouldn't he be the new Lamar Jackson? And you know, when everyone subscribes to a narrative, it's like, okay, let's throw a little bit of cold water. But look, it's one that's panned out. He's running the ball. He's he's creating magic out of nothing at times because uh, that offense has been kind of trouble at, at times. They've they've put up a lot of yards, but it's looked a bit clunky at times. But the thing that hasn't been is Kyler Murray. Uh, he's been the focal point of that offense, as he should be. And he's been asked to create more out of nothing than maybe any QB in the league right now. Yeah, and then on the flip side, you look at Lamar Jackson, who's all the rage, is the cover of Madden this year, and and you know the, the cheat, the human cheat code, and all of that sort, all that conversation over the last year. Man, talk about a market correction all of a sudden for Lamar Jackson, who just really hasn't been that successful. They kind of got served last night by the uh, by the Patriots, and now here we are. You know, everybody's on board the Kyler Murray Express and, and quietly goes back to our conversation at the outset of the show. Nobody's talking about Pat Mahomes. 25 touchdowns, one pick this year. It, 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 I know the stat, and you just say it, said it again, and it still blows my mind. Like 25 yeah! and one is stunning. And look, I, I made this point last week on Football Central at noon. It just, I think, I think the Chiefs are bored because they know. The headlines at this stage of the season don't matter. They know this is about the playoffs. They know this is about January. They're going to get to the playoffs. They're going to get the one seed, and they can win in that stretch there. So I, I think they are bored, and so we are bored about talking about them until until we see the best version of the Chiefs. Yeah, I I I'd subscribe to that. Uh, we'll we'll see. Like they're coming off a bye week, and and then uh, let's see how it kind of shakes down here over the next couple of weeks. You got the Raiders; they can try to atone for that one loss they've got on the schedule. You got Brady and the Bucks last week in November, um, and then you know you got the Broncos, Dolphins, Saints, and Falcons to kind of close out the month of December and the Chargers. So very favorable schedule for the most part. There's a couple of teams that. Uh, possess a little bit of a challenge. We'll see how they ultimately play out here in the final six weeks of the season. All right, it is uh, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Monday morning. That's Bick Nazar. I'm James Sabalski. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass coming up in a moment. The Canucks set to unveil another jersey today as a team that for 50 years in the making must be suffering some form of identity crisis. We'll explain what Seaball says next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 31 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. Uh, chance of showers here this morning, and then the rain uh, really kicking in around lunchtime. High of 9 degrees today. James Sabolski, Bick Nazar in the house in for uh, Perry Solkowski. You should be back in action tomorrow. Well, Bick, you're, you're 30 minutes in. What's the yawn count at? You're, 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 hand, you're handling this so far? Zero. Zero, yes. Oh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to dominate. The, trying to go for a perfect game today. You're trying to go for a perfect game. Yeah. All right. 
Okay. Uh, story you weren't supposed cre- to talk about it. Just like, uh... <laughs> yes. Now I'm going to make it a mental thing for you, and now you're just going to start <laughs> yawning nonstop. It's like that. It's it's like when somebody yawns, and then you yawn right after, right? It's just oh, the, uh... the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what were you? I'm not yawning. You're yawning. You're yawning. Hey, wait a second here. Um, the story, we'll get into Seaball says in just a quick moment, but um, over the last few days, there's been a real push on social media for Gino Ojic, uh to the Ring of Honor. Um, quickly, your thoughts on that. Uh, I think Gino's definitely got his place in Canucks lore. Um, obviously, you know, still getting chance to this day, and he's an iconic figure in the club. Uh, I, I don't know if it's Ring of Honor career, but I'm curious if this is part of the social media in 2020 where, you know, fancy one cause go viral and it's let's make another cause go viral and we saw it last week with Todd Bertuzzi's or in recent weeks Todd Bertuzzi's name uh, gets petitioned and I'm curious if this was just another opportunity to say hey let's put another name in there it's my chance to go viral that that, that's one thing I look at when when I see these things pop up in quick succession well I I guess you know if if you Gino was a pretty iconic Canuck, right? Lovable for that period of time 25 years ago with the 94 team. You know, you look at the names that are up there now, you know, Orland Kurtenbach, Kirk McLean, Thomas Gradine, Harold Sneps, Pat Quinn, Matthias Olin, Alex Burroughs, all in the ring of honor. And, and I just think that, to my, you know, when Burroughs went in, and I think there's probably a lot of people that will disagree with me on this one. Alex Burroughs scored a really, really big goal. But is he a guy, when you think of the 50 years of the franchise history, it's a great story, but is that Ring of Honor? You know, like, what is the Ring of Honor? And I think that's what the organization has to figure out. Like, what is the Ring of Honor? Is it just a group of fan favorites? Is it great players? I just, like, if if Gino Ojek's going in, then, like, Ryan Kessler needs to be up there, like him or not, mm-hmm. right? Kevin Bieksa has to be up there. Ed Jovanovski has to be up there. Todd Bertuzzi should be up there. Brendan Morrison should be up there. Like, there's five other names that I would throw out right away to say, okay, what about those guys? And that's where I wonder, like, if Gino goes in, I, I already think that you, you've watered it down with Burroughs to begin with. And so, and you look at some of the other names, like, you know, Kurtenbach was the original c- captain for this franchise, right? It, not that it was a memorable time to be a Canucks fan in those early years for anybody that's old enough to remember that. But, you know, you know what? It, what is the Ring of Honor? And I think that's what you try to figure out what it is first, right? Like, it was, you know, listing, you know, the five greatest Canucks was a debate a few weeks ago, right? And it's what's the criteria? And what is the criteria for Ring of Honor? Like, if they're fan favorites, then, you know what? There's a lot of names you can put up there. You know, Tony Tanti. Like, that guy had a run of, like, four, five years where he averaged almost 40 goals a season. Like, no other Canuck has ever done that. No one. Not Pavel. Not not Nazi. Like, just an incredible run like that. Like, does, does, does he deserve to be up there? And that's where I wonder with Gino Oger. I I like Gino. He's been on this show multiple times. You know, a lovable guy. Ring of Honor. I just don't know. I I'd be into having like a a place in Rogers Arena 
that's like a kind of like a trophy case thing of detailing yeah. the history because yes. he has his he has his pie in the history of Canucks like over the course of 50 years right there there aren't a, a lot of beloved figures to the level of Gino Ojic that's fair mm-hmm. I think from a from a fan uh appreciation level the fans got him he got the fans it worked it was a relationship that worked but there is a statistical element. There is a gravitas to to the Ring of Honor that I don't know if he achieves. But if if you just want to craft out an area in you know section three fourteen whatever it is, that's Gino's area. I I'm for that. That people can walk by, they can stop, and they can read the history of it. Whatever sure. it is, I'm for that. Uh, putting a number up or a name up, I that might be a step too far to me. Cause you're right. Like I don't know what the ring of honor is based on the criteria that's been outlined. I have my own version of what a ring of honor should look like, but I don't know if it's the same as the Canucks. Fair enough. 650-650 is the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Always open for business. Uh, Torgy Langley uh, saying, Burroughs deserved it maybe because he's one of my all-time favorites. I get what you're saying. I love Gino, but I say no to the Ring of Honor. But Gino is the definition of honor in a sense. But I say no to Gino. So uh, there you go. 650-650 if you want to jump on in. Uh, time for today's edition, Seaball uh, says. And Bick Adidas will unveil the NHL's latest marketing gimmick today with the Red Retro reverse jerseys for the 2021 season. Lots of speculation here about the Canucks version, which seems like it might be a green and blue update of the maroon and blue two-tone jerseys from the West Coast Express era. Kind of a forgettable one at that, but the retro reverse has kind of created a, a little buzz amongst Canucks fans about which jersey gets the 2020 makeover, and likely a buzz like no other market, mostly because who are the Canucks? The club's uniform has essentially been a half century of an identity crisis. Who are you? Hear me out here for a second, okay? Since the birth of the Canucks, the club has used, you ready for this, eight different colors eight green blue white yellow red black maroon and silver and they've also used four entirely different logos think about that for a second okay let's look at the toronto maple leafs in over a hundred years the leafs have had three different logos the montreal canadians in over a century one logo The Philadelphia Flyers just won in over 50 years. Even Vancouver's expansion counterparts, the Buffalo Sabres, they've had only three different logos, and they've only kept the colors to five different colors. Think about that. For just a second, the Canucks have had more colors in their history than a rainbow. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. Didn't think you'd hear a little bit of PBS reading Rainbow here in 2020, did you? Look, the club's identity sometimes mirrors what the fan base currently thinks of this regime right now in Vancouver, right? Some hate Jim Benning for all his bloated contracts handed out to veterans, and then there are those who love him for drafting Petey and Huggy. Talking about Benning here in this market conjures up like an old Seinfeld episode. I don't even like Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. 
Look, ask five different Canucks fans what their favorite jersey is. You might get five different answers. And you might add another to that debate later today, but at least there won't be any more added colors. Stop the insanity! Although I should be careful with what I'm saying. After all, brown and purple haven't been used just yet. Am I right? 650-650 is the Dunbar text line. Always open for business at 650-650. Pick eight different colors in franchise history. The jersey identity crisis is kind of mirrored, as you kind of mentioned, too, with the fan base as well. It's it's like a layered issue. Like it's, I think it's one of those things that's very subtle, but it, it seeps into the nuances of Canucks fandom. Where you're right, like there is a bit of an identity crisis amongst the fans at times, especially right now when it comes to detailing with Jim Benning and all this sort of stuff. But it, it's an overarching presence of what the franchise is at times, because I think sometimes the fran the franchise has lost its own identity. And who is responsible for crafting it? Well, it's it's leadership personnel, whether it be Jim Benning, whether it go higher than that, whether it be Travis Green. Um, and, and I would say only recently the Canucks seem to have found a bit of an identity, maybe in that playoff return to play scenario. But the, the jersey aspect of this never really helps of constantly changing. And you're right. Everyone's got different opinions on what they're different jersey is and, and, and that's why it's always a constant conversation in Canucks Twitter and, and between Canucks fans well it, everyone's got their own opinion on it that's that's it like you you know if if you are of the generation or the vintage of the 94 team right you think of the black flying skate you love it right you look at the West Coast Express era and you know and that sort of period of time with the Orca and and now what they've kind of done in recent years kind of get back to the original colors but like think of this. Like you're a Seahawks guy. I mean, l- look at the colors of the Seahawks and and their logos. Like, how how many times have they tried to reinvent the wheel? Like, there's been some tweaks along the way, but they pretty much kept it consistent. Outside of adding like neon green in the last probably five years, like they really haven't screwed around with what the the main colors have been for the team, right? Organizationally, and that's 45 years, Bick. It's playing with the right palette, but there's been different versions of the color, but it's always blue and green. I think my ideal Canucks jersey is blue and green colors with the skate logo. Can, that would be the reverse. that? Yes, and you know what's funny you say that? Like, I always thought that the flawed element of, like, the black flying skate is great, and for those who said, oh, you know, go back to that. But the but the white jersey I always thought was, yeah, just, yeah. And and yeah. so like do the like your retro reverse like it's there to be had, do the mashup, do the flying skate, and that's what it should be today, right? But they're but uh, for all for all guesses and maybe they'll they're they're throwing us a curveball here, but that green and blue, like doing the two tone and doing a, a an update an update or a refresh on that, eighteen year old jersey with the two tone like the maroon and blue like. Come on, man. That was an ugly jersey then. I liked it. Oh, okay. the, 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 the come on. Jerseys is I, I'm, I'm pro jerseys being weird because jerseys are kind of also like time capsules that you look at one and, and you see the 94 Canucks. And you're like, oh, right. I remember all the details of the 94 run, whether it's 
Burray on Vernon, whether it's Shane Churla, whether it's McLean's 51 states, whatever it is, you, you see that logo and you think of all those moments. Whereas when you look at the Maple Leafs, there's a litany of moments, right? So I, I am pro jerseys having like the, a timepiece, but the, the thing is there's been so much inconsistency, inconsistency with the Canucks aspect of it. Oh, eight colors, man. Who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll get brown and purple at some point in the next few years, just to kind of add to the to the to the rainbow here, Vic. Uh, Six forty-four. Uh, Natea J, will, our Monday morning quarterback, will join us coming up at the top of the clock. In the meantime, the NBA open for business once again. Some of the schedule and uh, getting a sense of what things look like here for the NBA. And I'll tell you what, the NHL should they be following suit with some of these ideas? We'll get to that next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 7 o'clock. Our Monday morning quarterback, Natea Jay, will drop on by at the top of the hour. James Sabolski, Vic Nazar in the house with you here on this uh, Monday morning. 650-650 is our uh, text line, always open on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jay and Lady Smith saying... Uh, Sorry, Seaball. I'm with Bick on this one. My Jovo Cop gradient jersey is one of my favorites. Stoked for a blue and green gradient. So there you go, Bick. You've got uh, you've got supporters out there when it comes to uh, jersey love. They're, they're fun. I, I think they've aged well. Is that eh. a fair statement? Eh. I, I think in the moment a lot of people didn't like them, but to me, I look back and I think, ah, that's fine. Eh. It's a subjective taste, right? Subjective. <laughs> uh, so that's what the... <laughs> people who lose an argument—that's what they always say. Well, it's subjective. <laughs> yeah, that's that's your opinion. That's your opinion. Nah, man, I, I I feel I feel good about where I stand on that one. Um, so the NHL on the clock. I mean, we're we're kind of waiting here for what goes down um, with an announcement of when they want to get going. They, they still keep saying January 1st they want to be up and running for. It's November 16th now, right? I mean, you're looking at training camps having to be underway in less than a month from now. But the NBA, um, here you go. They open for business today uh, starting at 9 a.m. local time here that trades can resume. A lot of rumors already, including uh, you know what happens to James Harden, the Lakers chasing Dennis Schroeder. Um, and then they also listed a couple of notable dates on the calendar. So season starts on the 22nd of December, so just a little over a month from now. Um, you got an all-star break uh, March 5th to 10th. The regular season will end on May 16th. And then the day after that, they have play-in tournaments uh, for the 7 to 10 seats. So you're going to see a 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9 that has been rumored around the hockey world for a long time. And then the playoffs start May 22nd, and the finals for the NBA will be July 8th. Um, they're looking at a flat cap this year. And, and I'll tell you what, like the NHL needs to create some buzz here. Bick, like looking at the major sports websites here in this country over the last few days, man, there's no hockey news. That's dangerous here. And we're in mid-November. Like this is kind of prime time hockey season and the buzz is gone. You know, I think there's a lot of hockey writers and people have some time off and, and good on them. But like there's just no narrative, like even the Canucks for that matter, like like. Where's the buzz about this team? Like, unless it's us having this conversation. Like, it's not like any Canucks are making the rounds. Like, these guys have nothing but time on their hands, like, to roll somebody out, to be available. Like, we've seen some viral stuff of Pedersen doing some photo shoots and dressing up and, 
you know, uh, doing this, that, and the other, pretending to be a goalie. But at some point, the the NHL needs to kind of follow suit here and gets get back into the news cycle. And it's completely contradictory to their ethos of, oh, how do we grow the game, right? Look yeah. at the other three major sports. They do a good to great job. I'll, I'll put the MLB on the good side of being a full calendar sport whether it's off the field stuff, whatever it is, to create interest. And I was just talking with someone last night. It's it's funny about the NHL. It's They don't understand how to be in this, the, the news cycle for the whole year because when things stop, they stop. And I know we're talking about return to play scenarios, but in yeah. general, like it, it's tough as far as making news in the NHL. Like, it, it's, it's this top 20 list is the biggest news in the NHL. And that's a user created thing as far as news topics of trades or whatnot it seems like they willingly go into these freeze periods and it's it's not the way to create buzz it's not the way to draw eyes to your product if you're not an all calendar news item it's you're you're right like i always look as at the nfl as a comparable and look i get you're talking about a league that's 15 billion dollars annually to a, a league that's 5 billion but you know hockey kind of rules the roost up here and usually about a week after free agency to most summers like the hockey conversation just goes off a cliff like it just goes away completely and for whatever reason and where you look at comparatively south of the border, like there's NFL shows that run 365. Like there's there's still an hour NFL show daily on like the major sports networks south of the border. And that doesn't happen here where all the shows like they just Hockey Central goes away. Canuck Central goes away. You know, like that's hockey goes away. Like all these shows, they just they disappear. Um, for a couple of months, and then September rolls around, and it's like everybody's like back to school kind of thing. And I think the NHL needs to do a better job of fixing that. By the way, uh, at Sportsnet650 on Twitter, uh, we're asking you this morning, do you like the idea of what the NBA is doing, and should the NHL do that more? And should the NHL be looking at um, a, uh, a play in seeds with the 7 to 10? And right now, 53% of you say no. Don't make it a per. I like the idea of it, man. I I I'd love to see this uh, as a regular thing for the NHL going forward. I'm you know more playoffs never a bad thing, Bick. Traditions are meant to change, right? I know the argument for for not changing anything. It's like, oh, it's perfect the way it is. Sixteen teams, best of sevens. That's the way it should be. Well, there were arguments for keeping it the way it should be years ago. If you think of when best of sevens, sixteen teams came in, we're talking to like late 80s it used to be best of fives right and 16 teams is a quote-unquote relatively new thing i know over the course of time it feels old but it's not as if it was 16 teams all the way through it's evolved and you're supposed to evolve as the times change and times dictate now it's important to generate more revenue it's important to create more buzz and if that means having play-ins so be it all right, we're up against the clock. It's time to dive into some football. Our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J, drops by. The Seahawks, did Russ finally lose his uh, MVP sort of conversation if it hadn't already? We'll get into that much, much more next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. The 2020 Masters. 
The long-awaited Masters has a long-awaited champion in Dustin Johnson. These guys are here to break it all down. Got to launch it. He does. Left side into the end zone. Jump ball. And it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness, it's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You play to win the game. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. All right, three minutes after 7 o'clock, this hour presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. James Sabalski here. Vic Nazar there in for Perry Sokowski. We'll get to our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J coming up in just a quick moment. Lots to dive into from what went down yesterday in the National Football League in a pretty good Monday night, or at least in my books anyway, later on tonight with the Bears and the Vikes. But first things first, Vic, it's out. Just what we spent the last half hour talking about with respect to the jersey, the retro reverse, it is out. It's up there online, and it's exactly what we expected, the two-tone. Yeah, the two-tone with the uh, the whale logo. I know some people wanted to see the stick and rink or something like that. It's uh, the two-tone. And look, I like it. I, I know it's weird. I know it's quirky. But as I was saying earlier, jerseys are supposed to be weird. They're supposed to be quirky. And they're supposed to remember us. Are they? Of a, a, a are jerseys yeah, supposed man, to be quirky? Man, I, it's I, your flag. It's your badge. I to be different. I don't know, man. It's, you know... Your jersey is supposed to be your flag, right? Like, it's your uniform. I don't know if your jerseys are supposed to be weird, right? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's I something you want to wear with pride. What's that? I respect the attempts to evolve and be different with your jerseys. I don't know, man. I think there's just an element of just keeping, like, the Montreal Canadiens, whether you like them or whether you hate them, you kind of know where you stand with that organization, right? You can you can tweak a little bit, but man, don't break what like don't mess with what works, right? I guess the Canucks are still trying to figure out what works for them because they've changed it up so many freaking times. Let's we'll get into this a little bit more coming up at the bottom of the hour and get your reaction on this. Uh, check it out. We'll uh, we'll also get a couple of pictures out there on uh, at Sportsnet 650 on our Twitter site as well, and you guys can weigh in on Dunbar Lumber text line at 650 650. But let's bring in Natea J, our Monday morning quarterback here on this Monday morning. How are you, Natea? I'm doing fantastic. What's up, Big? What's up, guys? How's it going? We're ready to go. We're, we're we're ready to go. I guess why don't we start with the Seahawks and and what went down yesterday as they kind of got spanked by the Rams yesterday. And it's funny as much doom and gloom was kind of painted in this market. I mean, it's not like they they lost by a touchdown, but you know, you look at the numbers from Russell Wilson here as of late. Ten turnovers in the last four weeks. Is the is the Russ for MVP conversation now over, or does he have a does he still have a chance to dig out of this at this point? I mean, you've always got a, ch- a chance, but it's it's pretty much dead in the water right now with Mahomes having the season he's having. Uh, you see Aaron Rodgers having a great season as well, but a two back to back games like this, it, it's tough to climb out of, it, especially the turnovers and, and and the way they're losing. It's not a good look for for Russ's MVP hopes. And for me right now, it looks dead in the water because MVP candidate, you've got to almost be the top of your division, top of your conference and and 
uh, just having these two losses back to back. I mean, now, I mean, everybody in the NFC West is kind of stacked right there, six and three. Uh, it's not looking good right now for Russ with the MVP uh, hopes. What are you just seeing with him in general? We saw yesterday DK Metcalf show a little frustration of throw me the ball like I'm kind of open here. Uh, it seems like the, the throwing with anticipation, all the things that makes Russ great, we haven't seen that in, a, in about a month. It's tough. It's tough, especially with the running game. I think that's the biggest thing right now. The running game, the lack of, of a running game is really hurting Russ because now the defense is when you when you can eliminate one side of the ball, one aspect of uh, offense, it makes your life so much easier. If you have a run threat and you can be balanced, like, as you saw with the Rams, they're super balanced. They do everything off play action. Their run game is super involved. Jared Goff almost can't operate without a run game, right? But on the other hand, Russ, he's terrific enough talent where you can see him move the ball uh, from time to time in, in that game. But he can but it just won't be as effective. And against a good defense like the L.A. Rams, who uh, have been stealth this season, uh, they rank top five in almost every category defensively. Two amazing quarterbacks and Jalen Ramsey um, uh, up there and uh, you know, holding D.K. Metcalf for two, two to, for, uh, to 28. I mean, come on. I don't think I don't think uh, a lot of teams are going to have success, you know, only passing the ball against that defense. And. And you saw it there, but I seen with Russ. I mean, he's he's forcing the issue. He's trying to he's trying to make up for the lack of the run game. Uh, there was a, a situation there well, before the half where he has the opportunity green grass ahead of him to run, you know, 20, 30 yards. He's probably still be running right now, but he he takes the chance to throw it in the end zone. And I saw what he saw. You know, he saw his tight end running open, but. Uh, the cornerback peeled off his guy and was able to make the pick. But those are the things that are happening right now. Russ feels like he's got to force the issue because, you know, he's got a lack of a running game and and it's hurting his team. It's hurting his team right now, as you said, with the turn, turnovers and their three losses. It's uh, tough times for him. But if anybody can bounce back from this, it's Russ. It's just got to happen soon because they, they got a quick turnaround on Thursday night. So look at the NFC West right now. The Thursday nighter for this coming week is it's it's Arizona and Seattle once again. Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, they put on a heck of a show a couple of weeks ago. But between the Rams, the Cards, and the Hawks, all teams at six and three, which one would you take to kind of walk away? If you had to, if you had to take a chance or you had to ride with one team of those three, which one are you riding with? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, it sounds like prison of the moment. But right now, could you see anybody, you know, I, the Cardinals, they're in every single game. And at the end of the game, I'm terrified uh, of Kyler Murray, you know, because this guy's got, you know, the running ability. Uh, it's on a different level, almost a Lamar Jackson type level of running ability. Then you got to look at his throwing ability. Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes. I mean, there he's right up there throwing ability with those guys. Right. And he's so got weapons. Exactly. At the end of these games, when things are, you know, scramble or things are even and it's it's a close game, I'm terrified uh, of Kyler Murray just because he can make it happen. He's elite running the ball, which you can't defend for 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 the full game, four quarters. I mean, you know, Buffalo did a great job in that first half of balling him up, you know, make him a throw to the second, third options, right? But then once they started, you know, focusing on Hopkins and backing off of the leaving light boxes, then Kyler Murray started to exploit that take over with his legs and it, for four quarters that guy's so hard to bottle up and he terrifies me especially late in the game if you if you're facing him um i would take the cardinals right now um 
just because they have a more balanced attack. I know Jared Goff, he doesn't scare me at all. So I'll, I'll take the best quarterback right now um, and Kyler Murray and, and the way his team is playing and the way they're rallying and, you know, one of the top receivers in the game and, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the Cardinals right now. We'll find out more about those teams on Thursday night when they match up Seattle and Arizona. Okay, I, I do want to touch on D-Hop, though. Uh, that Hail Mary play, obviously Kyler gets a lot of credit running around, scooting around, and throwing it up. But you're a wide out. Uh, is, is it as simple as playground football and just jump and hope you win? Or is there more nuance to that to that Hail Mary catch? There is some nuance to it. I mean, every team works on it. Every team, you know, walk through Dave, you know, they draw it up. Okay, we need this guy in the end zone. We need this guy in the front of the end zone. We need this guy here just in case there's a tip. So everything is kind of accounted for. But there, I, I'm kind of surprised the defense Buffalo is playing because they had – um, it, it almost seemed like they were playing a regular defense and they were almost anticipating Arizona taking two shots there, make, taking an intermediate pass and then taking the shot to end zone. But Arizona went straight for the jugular with Kyler Murray sprinting, dead sprint to his left-hand side, being able to turn, contort his body and make that throw almost the 50-yard line to, to make it to the end zone. I mean, that was incredible. I've, I've almost never seen a, a quarterback of an Aaron Rodgers be able to sprint full speed and turn his body and make that throw, have that throw, make it to the end zone. And then you have B-Hop on the other end. This guy is one of the greatest contested catch receivers I've ever seen. He's got – he wears size 6XL gloves. You know, that's huge. He wears them a little bigger, but he's got some of the biggest mitts in the NFL. So if there's ever a contested catch, he's coming down with it. A lot of things were going on that play, but Buffalo, you know, when you see Hail Mary situations, right, teams will sometimes put their tallest receiver, like a DK Metcalf, back there because they know it's a Hail Mary situation. They almost fumbled it there because they didn't know that, that Arizona was going to take that shot. They almost anticipated them um, taking a shorter pass and then taking their shot to the end zone later. So they weren't, I don't think they were fully prepared for that Hail Mary at that time because they had, I mean, the three DBs they had were some of the best receivers. They had uh, Chavez White, they had Micah Hyde, they had Jordan Porter back there, all similar height to DeAndre Hopkins. But when you've got six XL hands, you're probably going to come uh, come down with the ball and probably one of the most uh, incredible catches, you know, we've ever seen. And uh, a lot going on on that play. Buffalo wasn't ready. Uh, but B-Hop is always ready for contested catches. Uh, Natalia J, our Monday morning quarterback here on Sportsnet 650. What is that? What does a play like that do to a team like the Bills going into a bye week now? Does that can that can that change your season or, you know, give me a sense of what that does to a team? Yeah, that's that that almost feels like you lost twice, you know, because you you knew you had it's almost it's different because if you had just lost in regular like uh, the regular fashion and you knew you took the L, okay, good. But that felt like you had the game in your hands, you know, 34 seconds to go. Uh, Josh Allen to to Dix in the back of the end, incredible. Going on the field in 34 seconds, you're 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 ecstatic. You're you're hyped. How many times is a Hail Mary going to beat you? It's so rare. So some guys go through a whole career and never have a Hail Mary beat you. So going into the bye week, now you have all week to think about it. I mean, they're still 7-3 ahead of their division, but Miami's coming up right under them. And now they've got to understand that they can't – that can't happen. I mean, uh, coaches are going to be tough. They're probably not going to enjoy their bye week too much. Uh, players, they're going to take the time off. Uh, understand that, you know, they're still uh, a good team. They're still, uh, they're going to try to learn from this. They still got to, you know, understand that, you know, this scenario, Hail Mary, it just can't beat us. And I don't understand. I, I'm thinking back to that play. I really don't understand how it happened because they had three DBs back there, but 
you know, B-Hop is just unbelievable. But they weren't ready for that Hail Mary. They're going to beat themselves up for that, especially if it comes down to the end when they're one game away from potentially having a home playoff date or, or bye week. They're, they're, they're going to be uh, they're going to be kicking themselves that uh, because of that, because they should have had that game. Tonight, we got the James Chicago Bears against the Minnesota Vikings. I know James psyched up. Uh, but 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 should we all be? It's it's a Bears team that's been floundering recently, and it's Kirk Cousins in prime time. Uh, how psyched you for are you for this game? I'm always psyched up for football, honestly. Uh, like because we we didn't even know we were gonna get to this point. And uh, certain times there, you know, when we first started lockdown, we didn't know we were gonna have any sports and when we we're gonna have sports. So any type of uh, football, the Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night, I'm I'm game for it. Um, I think this is gonna be an interesting matchup because the Bears. I mean, when they were five five and one, we were looking at them like the most unlikely five and one team of all time. You know, the point differential didn't match quite match their record, but now they've kind of come back to down to earth. I don't know where they go from here. I mean, Trubisky, some of these games, he's not looking like a, a bad option as I'm thinking about. And Foles, he's he's starting to, you know, throw his hands up and say, oh, our play calling is predictable uh, and so on and so forth. So this trouble with, with the Bears and their offenses just not look like, you know, a playoff caliber offense. Like, honestly, like, you know, Montgomery was in there for a while and he was getting every time he touched the ball, it seemed like he was only breaking out for two, three yards at a time. And, you know, I know that because he's on my fantasy team, regrettably. But uh, <laughs> Minnesota, they, they've kind of picked it up and I'm excited to see what Dalvin Cook. He's been really on fire lately. I mean, beating them with screen passes uh, from the backfield. But Chicago is going to be a great test for them because they've got you know a stout defense. My uh, college teammate, Khalil Max is on the team. My high school teammate, Brent Urban, is on that D-line. So I always root for Chicago. But in this matchup, I'm just looking for a good game, um, looking looking to see if Chicago can kind of you know get back to their you know playoff ways. But we'll see. So it's going to be a tough matchup for, for them with this offense because they've got two great receivers, Thielen and Jefferson, the rookie. And uh, it, and uh, Kirk Cousins always does well when he's got a great running game. So it's going to be an interesting matchup, and I'm always, always, always excited for football. I, I, that sounded like a lot of name dropping to me there, Bick. Hey? Like, <laughs> oh, hey, my old roommate, all my boys. Like, oh, come on, the take. Nobody likes to show off, man. <laughs> and what's the point of having friends if you can't name drop them? It's like, right? <laughs> Be proud of your friends. I like it. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, all right. Thanks as always. Uh, the All Ball Podcast host and star and our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J. Always a great conversation, Natea. Stay safe out there, man. Thanks, James. And nice to meet you, Big. Take care, guys. Look forward to it. There he is, uh, Natea J. Uh, joining us here, uh, looking at. Uh, Monday night or tonight, Bears and Vikings and Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber uh, already uh, chirping me here, sending me texts. Uh, and so we've got uh, we've got a little wager on this one here, Bick. He's a diehard uh, Vikes it, fan. So. It, 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 it's been going bad for you. Because it's it started so well. I saw I saw you on Instagram with like the Bears stuff, the the, mm-hmm. the hat, and mm-hmm. getting all hype. I, I haven't seen that in the last. No, weeks. it's funny how that happens, right? But you know what? The hat and the sweater it'll it'll all come out for tonight, and and, and we still we still do our you know stay optimistic. You know what it is? It's it's a market correction, right? Like, did anybody believe that the Bears were a five and one team, like no. a true like legit contender? No. I will say this. That defense, though, is way better than people initially gave them credit for. I think a lot of people thought that there were a lot of holes in that defense. Um, that that defense has kept them in a lot of games. And you look at some of the scores in some of these games in the last few weeks, 
Like they've been winnable games. That was a winnable game against the Saints. It was a it was there to be had. Even against the Titans, they couldn't move the ball. But it was a winnable game against the Titans. Like some of these ones that have kind of got away. Um but here they are. They they got a chance to beat a Vikings team tonight. And they just they need something offensively and they just haven't had enough of it in the last month. And they can absolutely complicate the hell out of the NFC playoff picture with the win tonight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, just throw another wrench in there. Because this season is very much a have and have not season. Like, we've got over 10 teams with six wins on the season. In, we've got six, sorry, we've got nine six win teams in the AFC. We've got seven six win teams in the NFC. It's very much a have and have not season when there's a lot of teams just hovering around with two wins. Um, if the Bears win tonight, they're tied with the Seahawks at six wins. And suddenly the Seahawks might be pulling their call there of like Thursday is kind of a must win game anyways. It's uh man, it, like that, the NFC is as wide open as I can ever remember uh, the way it's kind of played out this year. All right. 19 minutes after seven o'clock. Let's bring her in from down the hall. Our Webster award nominee from news 1130. The one, the only Sonia Aslam. Aslam, how are you? Uh, happy Friday. Oh, wait, it's Monday. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. okay. I wish yeah. it was Friday. We all wish. I wish every day was Friday. Right. Um, hey, here's I mean, every a- day's the same nowadays, so, so you can make it your Friday. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. Hey, I'm not coming in tomorrow. Bye, guys. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a story at all for your newsroom, but <laughs> I put up my Christmas lights this weekend as early as I ever have outside and I wasn't the only one like our neighborhood is lit up right now it feels like I don't know if this is just another way to try to survive this pandemic right now but Christmas lights are up everywhere and I'm fine with that so here's how early I saw them when we had the provincial election in October someone in my neighborhood put their lights up and normally I would judge you from afar with like a side eye or something, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? It's 2020. Everything is awful. So you do you. You want to put up lights in October? I am here for it. So that's fine. I'm fine with it. Spread some Christmas cheer. Spread some Christmas cheer. I'm for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's to each person, right? If you want to celebrate Christmas in October, you do you. James, I'm going to bring back (laughs) a phrase we used earlier. It's all subjective. That's all subjective. They're lights. They're just twinkly lights. Like, who's, who's going to get mad about that? And if you do get mad about that... You have issues. I said it. Uh, What are you guys chasing this morning in the newsroom? Well, we have another potential vaccine that is doing really well. So uh, Moderna says that their vaccine that they've been testing is 95% effective. To be really technical, 94.5% effective. But we'll just round up. Um, So that's really good news. So in in addition to the one that Pfizer has, then that makes two vaccines that are above 90%. Um, the U.S. says it could create or make, whatever you want to call it, 60 million doses by the end of this year and up to a billion doses by next year. Now, again, this is good news. We're on the right track. They, it is in the works. It doesn't mean that we'll be able to get one by, you know, February. So temper your expectations, but we're definitely heading in the right direction, which is great. And That's in the shorter good. term and perhaps locally here, yeah. um, businesses starting to crack down a bit more on on how you can shop at their places yeah so and that's part of the whole mass thing like dr bonnie henry was asked last week because there is no 
mask mandate in this province. Other provinces are doing it, but we're not doing it here in BC, even though some businesses have implemented that rule. And so what she said to them was if someone comes in and they're not wearing a mask or they're not following the rules, um, then you can say like, hey, I need you to leave. And if you want to shop online through our website, we can do that or we can deliver food, whatever the case is. But that type of behavior is not acceptable. And that actually made a lot of people say, well, then you're leaving it on the shop owner um, to take that abuse from an angry customer who doesn't want to wear a mask, who doesn't want to follow the rules. That leaves them in the lurch. And that's not their job. That's not fair. And why don't we just mandate masks? Other provinces have done it. Why don't we do it? And she's still not leaning towards that. So, yes, you can crack down, but it's still messy. It's um, it, it's it's interesting. This weekend, it seemed like these past few days have really hit home for people here, Sonia. Like our my, my nine-year-old daughter's soccer team, they effectively, there were a bunch of parents that didn't feel comfortable about do, playing any road games anywhere outside of our own neighborhoods. So we've effectively shut down games till the end of 2020 and Mm. look everybody's got a different sort of feeling and threshold and comfort but it just seemed like it just seemed like everybody seemed to tighten up anybody you talk to the concerns seem to be maybe people are starting to get the message now maybe and i really hope they do like i really 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 hope they do because i am so tired of being you know somber sonia and coming on here and having all these like bad news stories. But, you know, I, I that's great. I like I feel bad for for your kids team. But at the same time, it's great that the message is getting through. However, um, we were getting photos sent to our newsroom this weekend of a soccer game being held locally where the sidelines were packed and parents are just hanging out. And you're like, didn't we yeah. just tell you not to do that? Didn't we just talk about this? How are you not getting it? Like, this isn't new. We're nine months into this. What is not getting through about this? That's why I'm, I'm stunned when I still see people not wear a mask. It's like, where are you? What is this? Like, I just, I don't, I, I don't get it. I saw some complaints nationally from people in different provinces this week, uh, Saskatchewan specifically, yeah. of, okay, yes, yeah, some, some newer measures are being brought in, but they still aren't tough enough. Uh are we on a timeline here, maybe in two, three weeks, where nationally it, it kind of gets struck down again of, hey, we got to ramp this up even more than we have? It already is ramped up. like, And it's not, it's not a national thing because each province does their own thing. Um, there is a meeting with Justin Trudeau with all the premiers next month, and um, they had a chat last week. <laughs> a chat, I say. They spoke last week, all the premiers and the prime minister, but there was no indication as to we're going to do a national crackdown because each province controls their own rules. And that's almost part of the problem, someone could say, because this is a, you know, it's a global issue, but it's definitely a national issue. Our numbers are way too high in every province is seeing spikes. Why don't we crack down across the board? We'll put in a mask mandate or we'll do this. Even the fines locally, like on Friday, the pro- the provincial government announced that, you know, like um, limos and party buses and all those, there's a bunch of rules for them. The fines are just over $2,000. And as we've seen for fines already in place for people who have house parties and stuff like that, the fine is $2,300. And we're seeing repeat offenders, people who just keep doing it because they can afford that cost and they just keep breaking the rules. So the question really is, and you're right, Big, what's it going to take to really hit home? What's it really going to take for you to stop? You break the rules once and that's it. And I don't know what the answer is, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Um, well, Aslam, uh, we continue to wait, and at least some positive news this morning that another vaccine seems to be on the horizon in a positive way. So yep. uh, you stay safe over there, and we will uh, we will talk again uh, tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. Peace out. There she is, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 with the latest uh, this morning down the hall at News 1130. All right, 26 minutes after 7 o'clock. Uh, James Savalski, Bick Nazar in the house with you here on this Monday morning. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will continue the conversation as the Canucks uh, – uh, are backing at him with a New Jersey with, a, with the retro reverse. And uh, we'll get some reaction to this uh, next right here on Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Lonely feeling deep inside. Find a corner. All right, 7.32 on this uh, Monday morning. No sugar tonight, at least for the uh, Canucks retro reverse jersey, in uh, in my personal opinion. Uh, Beck, they're out. Uh, we've had a few minutes to kind of digest. Have you, uh, how many have you taken a look at this morning? I have seen them all. I'm trying to create a power ranking for myself, but I, I've okay. looked at them all. Um, I, can, I can definitively tell you which are the three worst, and the Canucks are not in that group. Okay. The, the Predators one, which is an all-yellow with still their logo. Uh, the New York Islanders, which, to be honest, looks exactly like their current jerseys. It's the same blue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's exactly yeah. the same. There's nothing And then the Detroit yeah. Red Wings, which they went in all-white, which is kind of cool. And I get the Red Wings are limited. They don't have a lot of options because it's a classic jersey. It's two colors. They don't have a lot yeah. of options. But they went with an all-white and silver uh, armband. Um, maybe they could have done a silver jersey or something like that, but those are by far the three worst ones. Uh, I, I have to say I am uh, somewhat intrigued by the jersey. Uh, first off, the Colorado Avalanche might be winning, um, going with yeah. the Quebec Nordiques, but in the blue and maroon with the with the current Avs colors. Like that's pretty slick. Um, I don't love the Canucks jersey. Um, you know the Coyotes they're, have they're done like a trip, like somewhere in the middle. They're not falling behind. They're not bragging. They're they're just somewhere they're, in the middle. Yeah, they're just which is eh. pretty much the the story yeah. with the Canucks in, in themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I would say Vegas. Um, different. Um, I, I think the, Coyo- the Coyotes. The Coyotes went. Man, you talk about you know going out there. They look like they've created something that resembles the Vancouver Voodoo lacrosse uh, or uh, roller yeah. hockey jerseys from from the nineties. Uh, I actually don't mind that purple. There's not enough purple. I like what the Kings have done, kind of going back with the purple and gold, but using the eighties when they kind of went to silver and black when Gretzky got there. Um, kind of going with that logo from the late eighties, early nineties, but in the purple and gold style. I thought they kind of nailed that. Um, Montreal going, you know, more predominantly blue over the red, not bad. And, uh, the blues going back to the mid nineties with, um, just kind of a makeup on that with the red and blue more, uh, the heavier emphasis on the red than the blue from when, uh, Gretzky was there in that brief run for, um, what about six weeks. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, the ones I love are the, the ducks. They brought the classic uh, Mighty Duck 
coming out of the ice or coming out of the pond. Is it like too the, much the or you like it? Uh, I love it, man. Like again, I'm pro weird. And okay. the 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 Arizona Coyotes, the the Kachina jerseys with the purple all over it, with the 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 moon in the background. That one's great. Um, the Whalers one, obviously, bringing that one back. And, and you mentioned the Avs; those are strong. Uh, the Kings brought back the purple and gold, or the, the purple and yellow. And then the I like the Christmas tree Devils ones. Yes, yes, I do like, you know what, and the Devils going back to their original, um, kind of their original uniforms back when they first kind of broke into the National Hockey League uh, with the green and the red. I, I, I'm i with you. I, I like them. I, I think they look pretty good. Um, you can check them out. Uh, we'll get some links up there at Sportsnet650 uh, on our Twitter account if you want to take a look, but uh, all the NHL teams have them up and running. Uh, if you want to see for yourself, here we are on radio describing fashion uh, right now, which is per- the flames went with the old horse head. Greg Ballack, who's behind the glass here, big, he's loving it. I, I always thought that this was just such a forgettable time in flames history. It's the, the flames have like great colors and it, you know, the, the classic C with the, the flames mm-hmm. look great. I understand the spirit of this one of, of having the, the horse and whatnot, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I've never loved the logo itself. I feel like they could have just made a better jersey. <laughs> be better. You do you, but be better. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's fine. I get bringing it back. It's it, it, it's somewhere in that middle tier. Somewhere in there with the Canucks. It's, it's fine, but I felt like the Flames had a lot of potential to do some great things. Yeah, I, I you you're right. I'm with you on that one. Um, the Dallas Stars are going heavy on the white. They're going white pants, white socks, uh, white jerseys with green trim. I would say if you're going to fully commit to it, bring back the white skates. Like go go full on Ooh, wow. Olaf, right? Like you know, go full snowman. You know, do it all. Um, but again, I I feel like the the heavy emphasis on the mostly white jerseys. You you touched on Detroit. Um, it looks like a practice jersey. I don't mind yeah. the, what the Oilers. I don't mind if the Oilers have done. Um, they've gone the heavy emphasis on the white, but I feel like at least there's a little more trim with the orange and blue. But Detroit seems kind of forgettable to me. Um, I think with the the Red Wings, I'm not sure what they were supposed to do though. Yeah, it's it's like, kind of tough. It's kind of tough to Detroit really Detroit across the front or something like that. I, yeah. I don't know what they what options Detroit really has. Hmm. Yeah. Because at least with maybe Montreal, eight, maybe right? put eight logo. mile on the front. But at least, yeah. yeah. At least Montreal has a third color that they can draw from and and say mm-hmm. we can make this look different. Detroit doesn't really have that. It's always been red and white. It's always that classic look. Yeah, there, there's there's not. I mean, could you could you have gone? Could you have incorporated some black into it? I mean, maybe, but Be different. I don't. Okay, I don't, here's I don't love it. Yeah. Here's the litmus test. Do you like the Winnipeg one? Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's okay. Like I'd kind of put them middle of the pack. Like they've got now the jets have the old school logo with the heavy emphasis on like a, like a platinum or a, or a, or a dark gray, um, as the heavy color for the Jersey and then kind of a blue trim on along the arms and the, uh, and the shoulders. It's okay. Um, I feel like that's one that wouldn't get dated though. You know? Like yeah, you know, when you're going I, with a gray I, and a blue, this looks like, like a, a discount store hoodie. Yes, 
And, and I think and that's I a really lot of like them. that. <laughs> no, I I think that's like I think there's a lot of those that that are uh, that are like that. Like and that's somebody had said that about the Leafs jersey. It looks like something you would find, you know, at a thrift Kmart shop or, or that that kind of that fake that fake jersey. You know, it's like when you go through Gastown and you can find all those Canada souvenirs and then you see this like oh Vancouver and it's like is it the Canucks or is it not right so if somebody who's not necessarily entrenched in the hockey culture you might be duped into thinking oh I got a Canucks jersey like this kind of looks like it's kind of a fake jersey like and and I think a lot of these kind of resemble that like the Jets have that sort of look um I think uh the Leafs have that um you know San Jose's kind of got that look I think Pittsburgh to a degree. I don't hate Pittsburgh, but it just kind of doesn't doesn't look authentic. And maybe it's just it's something different. Yeah, I, I see the Pittsburgh one. I think it's the font that makes it look uh, like it's a a knockoff. Looks like looks right. fake. Yeah, it looks like a knockoff. <laughs> it, it, it feels like that was the spirit of these. A lot of these just like the logo doesn't match the colors, and they don't look like they go together very well. That's uh, an astute way of looking at it. Yeah, the the, the Islanders just they they really went out there uh, and just kept it all the same. Uh, like the Ducks, you go figure that that arguably the two most boring GMs, Lou Lamorello and Steve Eisman, <laughs> were like, yeah, whatever, we'll sign off on these. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, just okay, whatever. I don't care. I'm not really taking part of this. The the Ducks, you know, I like the fact that they've gone back with the the duck uh, mascot originally. With the logo, I don't know if it needed the entire like jumping out of the ice. Um, like if you could have just kept the low, like the the mask, the face of the duck and the goalie mask. I always thought that was kind of cool. I think with what the elements that you have in terms of the trim and the color and the approach to that, but just going with the duck mask would have been way better. That's my opinion. Well, it's it's got the mask on the Ducks jersey, so that's something. Um, yeah, it's something. It's something. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, the here's uh, <laughs> the Ducks jersey looks like a shirt for my kid. Hashtag Looney Tunes. There's. A, <laughs> I just got a text. The Leafs jersey uh, looks like Chris Tanev drew it. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Always open for business. Uh, a reminder that this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative: visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Buda Street in Vancouver, and you can check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Dustin Johnson uh, walks away with his first green jacket, dominating Augusta in record-setting fashion. We'll get to that. Plus, your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the clock here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. Shotgun. Murray, out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Murray, heaves it downfield. It is. Oh, it's caught. It is caught. DeAndre Hopkins. is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Unbelievable. Unbelievable to watch that play out yesterday. Just draw, jaw-dropping. Draw-dropping? 
jaw-dropping. There we go. Say that three times quickly there, Bick. Draw-dropping. <laughs> I had to think about that one. That was tough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sabalski, Nazar, hanging out with you until 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, what a moment for uh, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals with the shock and awe Hail Mary prayer to beat the Bills yesterday, and it sets up what should be a fun Thursday nighter um, coming up in three days' time from now when the Seahawks and the cards collide for the second time this season. Kyler Murray's taking round one in that one. Let's see if the Seahawks can settle the score after dropping two straight and having now lost three of their last four. Um, I, I want to dive into what we saw yesterday, and um, Dustin Johnson, uh, although it was funny, Jake and Port Moody already texting in at 650, 650, uh, already trying to ask us to focus on the conversation more about Paulina Gretzky's outfit. Um, <laughs> repping her own green jacket yesterday. It was funny, you know, kind of looking on social media and it was like, oh, there's Paulina Gretzky trending. <laughs> like, Yeah, you know, she was trending more than Dustin Johnson. Yeah, yeah, more people were focused on, on Paulina um, and, and how she was looking at like is it is it funny to think like Wayne Gretzky was my hero in hockey as a kid, and like I think hockey fans haven't forgot about '99, but is it funny how Wayne's in in some respects in the sports world like it's been over 20 years since he retired like is he becoming like a bit of a footnote in D- Dustin Johnson's world now? Uh, well, it's it's touching a new aspect of sports, right? It's it's the extension of his hockey greatness reaching into the golf world, which is a good thing, I guess, for hockey. More people get exposed to the sport that way. But, no, Dustin Johnson will, will create his own legacy in golf and it, in, in his own. And, and Wayne Gretzky will always have his place in, in sports. So I, I don't know if it's about footnote. It's just a family relation. That's all it is. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a good story nevertheless. DJ wins the Masters in a record-setting performance. Uh and if you ever wondered how Augusta National plays in November, well, your answer is really favorably. I mean, there were some low scores and DJ finishing at 20 under breaking the record by two shots set by Tiger in 97. Uh Jordan Spieth matched that one 5 years ago. Um I'll tell you what, like DJ's a Hall of Famer, right? He becomes the uh, you know, you look at what he has done. Um, he now has 24 PGA Tour victories here, Bick. Only Tiger Woods with 82 and lefty Phil Mickelson with 44 have more among active players now. He's got two majors to his to his belt, and, um, you know, and it's a nice story. Like, his brother's his full-time caddy, right? You know, he's married into hockey royalty, you know, marrying Paulina, um, here's a guy who had COVID-19 a month ago and he comes back and wins Augusta. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you saw his post championship, uh, interview where he's breaking town and, and, and thinking of growing up nearby. Uh, it, it's, it's a nice story of obviously overcoming a lot as well. But for, for me, the thing that stands out is, like this weekend of golf, why, tremendous job by, by Dustin Johnson to win it. it. It felt like I was excited for the Masters, but I didn't get hooked. And I don't know if it was because Tiger shot a 10 and my the wind got taken out of my sails, but it, it did feel a little bit like uh, I, I lost I, it lost some of its luster as the weekend progressed. And, and is it because of those high numbers? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it 
the course didn't seem to possess as much of a challenge. Like for all the mystique and the pageantry that Augusta National brings, um, you know, everybody demolished it, right? Like look at the scores. I mean, it was, I mean, you had a record setting performance by DJ and, you know, by the, by, by the time Sunday rolled around, once DJ got onto the course, it was, it was pretty apparent that he was going to walk away with this, right? And if you were hoping for any sort of mystique from Tiger, that hey, let's face it, the casual golfer, will, the casual golf fan or sports fan that might be on the fence about watching golf, you sit up, you take notice when Tiger's in contention. He does something that we could all relate to. He took a ten. He took a 10 on a par 3, right, on the 12, and he dropped it into the water not once, not twice, pick three times he put it into the drink. We've all been there. We've all done it. Uh, and, and exactly what this texter is saying, 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line, uh, it would be interesting poll to see if 5% followed golf on the weekend. And I, I do think it was a Tiger impact. Like I, I like DJ. I like Jordan Spieth. I like Rory. Like a lot of golfers, because they're all individually great. But as far as star power, who drives people to televisions, who drives people to sit there for hours on end to watch golf, it's it's Tiger. It's that's what it is. And I'm just I think, and, and he still had a great round too. By the way, went off to a, a run of birdies right after that number ten. It's just that one hole submarined his whole weekend. If he was just hanging around, I bet people would have been more intrigued by the Masters weekend. You know, it was it, it to me what I thought was telling, um, just in my own little personal bubble, um, or world for that matter. But I talked to two buddies of mine that I would say are the two biggest golf fans that I know, and neither of them really were spending a whole lot of time watching golf this weekend. Like mm-hmm. two guys who love to get out and play as much as they can, and neither of them were really watching this weekend. Thursday and Friday, I got a lot of texts. A lot of people were excited. Yeah. A lot of the tiger emojis being sent around because yeah. he was around. And, you know, Thursday, he's four under. And it just didn't – the staying power wasn't there. I found myself watching more on Thursday, Friday. And I found myself watching more NFL yesterday than I did the Masters. You know, but I by that point, but I also looked and I said, you know what, DJ's not giving this up. So it became less of a story for me. Absolutely, and with the NFL season kind of getting that point of, you know, the tipping point where we find out where teams rise to the crop, and uh, that drew a lot more eyeballs, and it and it does feel different. I'm curious with the end, the NHL and NBA too. Uh, it, it did feel like people's attachment to it did wane because it's 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 august it's september right it doesn't feel like playoff hockey playoff basketball it's not golf season (laughs) it's it's, yeah it's not augusta time and as nice as it was to see the imagery the azaleas and it feels like golf it just it wasn't that time of year it didn't put you in its place you'd look outside and it's dreary november vancouver weather and it didn't didn't take you to a place where you feel the warmth of augusta no, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't look like it was all that hot. Like, it looked comfortable enough, but didn't look like it was, oh, man, I need to go vacation in Georgia right now. No, no. 
Uh, five minutes to uh, 8 o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. We'll dive in with our Canucks commute. Um, lots of little Canucks uh, tidbits and news. Uh, Elias Pettersson and where he sits amongst the best centers in the game. We'll get into that. Gino Ojic getting a lot of love on social media for Ring of Honor consideration. We'll dive into that as well. All still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. Here we go. It's Gino Ojic and Mike Burnett. five-star morning on the starting lineup. It's your Canucks commute here on this uh, Monday, November the 16th. Uh, chance of showers in the forecast here this morning, and then the real rain hits around lunchtime. Uh, looking at a high of 9 degrees today. At least it's not snowing, right? James Sabolski, Big Nazar in for Perry Solkowski, who should be back in the saddle tomorrow as Perry uh, still recovering from uh, his hernia surgery that he shared with us uh, last week. And uh, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully he doesn't get Wally pipped. But Big man, you've been killing it this morning. So, um, you know what? Uh, you know, could be this uh, the new Lou Gehrig Wally Pip story here on Sports that, Radio. Uh... That story has been uh, famous in our Sportsnet 650 offices. It it's, seems like anytime I fill in on a show, that gets uh, referenced. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm the new Wally Pip, so I, I'm glad I could uphold it here too. Well, uh, Perry would be the new Wally Pip. You would yes. be the Lou Gehrig Sorry. to step yeah. in. But you know, at least you're, at least you're very humble. Hey, I, I try to be as humble as I can. Um, but you know, when it comes to that reference, it seems like it follows me every show. <laughs> every show I do, I, I, I'm, I'm Wally Pipping everybody. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Nazar, simmer down now. Come on, man. Come it's on. Head swelling two hours into the show. We let's let's try not to sink the ship here in the final fifty-seven minutes. Um, a lot of Canuck news uh, to get to this morning. Uh, obviously, uh, they have a new jersey that has uh, just been unveiled in the last hour. Uh, it's the retro reverse jersey. Adidas doing this campaign with the National Hockey League. And it's basically uh, a refresh of the maroon and blue sort of um, two-tone jersey from the West Coast Express era. Like, of all the jerseys that we needed to see a mock or a, a refresh of, that's the jersey they chose? Really? It's uh, got a special place in Canucks fandom, man. It, Does it's, it? It's Does it? It's creative enough. Does it? Sure it does. It's, I don't know anybody look, who said, you know, I want to see that jersey done again. So this reverse retro is already like what? The fourth jersey or the third jerseys for this upcoming season? Um, and, and they draw on another third jersey. And when you start looking at the options that they had, right? The Canucks have done the flying skate logo as recently as last year. So they weren't going to do that one. They've had the third jersey stick in rings. Uh, an altered version of it, but Maybe they weren't going to do that one. And you start going through all the jerseys that they had in, in history. This is kind of one that stands out. Maybe you could have done the red flying skate one. But this, to me, is the most interesting jersey to choose from. Because I, I don't think you could do the flying V. I just – those weren't I, – I, I think we've been down that road. They wore them for a warm-up, obviously, before. But this, to me, is the one that makes a lot of sense. And the gradients – said it earlier, I'll say it again, they have aged well. I know in the moment, 
They weren't well received, but they have aged well now. Mm, gradients, no, like gradients no. across sports in 2020, have become a thing again. We've seen it with the LA Rams. We've seen it with the Atlanta Falcons. A bunch of teams have started doing the gradients. I think they're they're becoming trendy again. But do you not think that they have a short shelf life? Like it's kind of like it's it, it's like, hey, try this drink. Oh, this is really good. And then you're like, yeah, you know what? I've had enough of this, you know? And it right, lasts, but they're you kind of drink it nonstop for a, a summer, right? And then you never touch it again. But it's... I, I feel like you're trying to create like this timepiece of <laughs> this this jersey that in 2090, fans are going to be talking about it. And it's, I'm glad we've had these jersey for 70 <laughs> years. That, that's not a thing. It's an alternate yeah. jersey. I, I, guess, I guess what drives me nuts about this team sometimes, it's like... You've got so many options to choose from, and that's the option they ultimately go with. But it, it does speak to, and I and I, I brought this up in the 6 o'clock hour, that this franchise sometimes suffers from an identity crisis as to just who the hell are they? You know, it, it, over the course of the history, Bick, I mean, you know, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary for the Vancouver Canucks last season. But man, oh man, like eight different colors that they have had incorporated into their jerseys over the years. Blue and green and white and black and red and yellow and silver and maroon. Like it is crazy. Like if depending on what period of time you maybe became a Canucks fan, you associate them as something, right? So if you were a fan of the Canucks in the 80s, you associate, you know, Maybe the flying, or, or in the early 90s, you associate the, the flying skate. You know, if you were a fan of late 70s, early 80s, you're the flying V. The, that was your team, right? If you are of a, a different vintage, you were the blue and the white, or the blue and the green in the early days. West Coast Express era, you associated blue and white and some maroon, right? And some silver in there. And that retrograde that we're talking about, the two-tone jersey. And now we've kind of gone back to what the original color scheme was, you know, sort of in the last 10 years or so or 12 years. But, man, like, it's the colors of the rainbow for this franchise. We can debate. Like, that's the thing. You and I, and we could bra- grab Sat, and we could grab Walker, and we could grab Rintoul, and we could grab Dan and Randeep, and we could all sit down and do a live stream and ask each other, what's your favorite jersey? And with all of us on-air people here at Sportsnet 650, we might all have a different answer as to what the best Canucks jersey is. Because there's so many freaking jerseys to choose from in this franchise. I will say, to your credit, one thing about this franchise is they, they've been one foot in and one foot out on every jersey. And like I myself grew up in the, in the soccer model of come up with a new jersey every year if it's new sponsor, whatever it is. But it's, it's a different look every time. So I'm, I'm either pro being timeless and having the same jersey or changing it up all of the time. Maybe every two years, whatever it is. That's not necessarily the model with hockey is always followed. It's, it's try to be consistent, try to be who you are. And the Canucks have found themselves in this in-between moment of – we kind of like this one, but we will upgrade if we have the chance. And they've never really found a consistent jersey to always mm. have. Now, if, if they want to adopt changing it up all the time, I'm for, the, for that. The one thing I will say about this, choosing this gradient tone to kind of have a throwback to, as I was mentioning, is 
jerseys are kind of like a time capsule, right? You look at them and you think, oh, okay, I see that flying skate. I think of the 94 run. I think of all that sort of stuff. Uh, the one with the gradients, it's a throwback to that West Coast Express era when it feels like Vancouver fell in love with the Canucks all over again, right? And Bertuzzi, Naslin, Morrison, they, they brought back the coolness of Vancouver. And this, I know the logo's the similar, but this kind of harkens back that memory of all the reasons why the city fell in love with the team again. There was those dark years, obviously. But when I see that gradient, that's what it makes me think of. It makes me think of Nassau. It makes me think of Bertuzzi. And it, it makes me think of why the city got behind the Canucks all over again. You know, and, and you go back, and, and to that point, you go back 20 years ago, you know, my first year covering the team, and the season started in that night in that 2000-2001 season, and like I remember buying, I, I bought for my girlfriend at the time. I remember buying her a pair, an ice pack, like you know, twelve game ice pack, and upper bowl seats, and the tickets were twenty five bucks a seat in the upper bowl, mm-hmm. and man, like that upper bowl was empty, like big. It wasn't just good seats still available; good sections were still available. And, and by the end didn't of the have to go year, on a waiting list either. Yeah, and 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 by the time that season ended, and Trukin scored the goal to put that team into the playoffs for the first time in five years, like man, there was a buzz, there was an energy, and people grew with that team. And you're right, like there's a generation of fans that that you know, if you're 30 or so, you know, you're 10, 15 at that time where you're really influenced by, you know, something in sports where you gravitate and you kind of find your your team around that age. You know, I think there's a there's a generation that fell in love with that Nazi, Mo, Burt, Jovo era of the Vancouver Canucks. Um and, you know, they didn't win, but they you're right, they brought the buzz back. Um, 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, a couple people jumping in here, and um, Sabalski stopped. They took the worst jersey in Canucks history and made it look absolutely amazing. What would you have done if it was your choice? Personally speak, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Don't forget to sign your names. Um, I probably we are would have gone. Interactive here. That's the whole point of the Dunbar Lumber Line. <laughs> Ask us I, questions. Absolutely. Yes, I would. I would have gone with. You know what? I would have done a blue and green flying skate. And maybe that sounds too simple, but a, a blue and green flying skate would have been would have been something I would have gone. I would have loved to have seen. And and if not as a plan B, I would have considered the black orca. Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay, see now that's again that's weird and that's different. I'm for that. Yeah. So, so like like black and red and orange and yellow and all that sort of stuff for the orca. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might have okay. to get a graphic designer working on that one uh, as soon as possible here. <laughs> Bobby in Vancouver uh, texting in as well at six fifty six fifty on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks could have done much better. My five year old could have done better in the choice. How about Johnny Canuck? <laughs> Uh, Bobby's top six, his power rankings, number six, the Stars, number five, the Sabres, number four, the Avalanche, 
three Hurricanes, two Kings, and one the Devils. That's for Bobby in Vancouver. I would put the Avs higher on that. I think I would. I, I don't love the Gray Whalers. I, I love more just the traditional green on that. But I like where they were going. I thought the Devils looked slick, and I really like the uh, the Kings. So I would definitely, if I, just off the top of my head, I'd probably go Kings, Avs, and Devils one, two, three off the top of my head right now in terms of my power rankings. I'm curious if I've seen this echoed a bit on Twitter so far. I'm curious how you feel about it. Uh, some people are torn on the Whalers jersey of like they took the team and do you get to take the logo with you? It's the same thing with the Avs and the Nordiques, I guess. It's like that's not it was never part of your city's history. It was never part of your city's culture having that logo. And, mm-hmm. and those colors. Is that fair to do? Because because we have the same issue here with Memphis. Like I, yeah. had say, I, had, I had a big problem with Memphis wearing the Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys. Oh, I, you know what? I didn't. And, you know, this, and this was one that was, it was, it's funny how polarizing this discussion was last year. I, I really liked it. And, and here's what I liked about it. Beck, as much as it hurts that the NBA left town and kind of served this city up with a pretty raw deal 20 years ago, Here's what I do say. It's at least a way to acknowledge history and Vancouver is part of the NBA's history. Like, look at the love that the Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys got this past year anytime John ja Morant was repping those. Like, honestly, man, like, they look great. I remember seeing last summer somebody rolling down the street with a John ja Morant Vancouver Grizzlies jersey, and I was like, man, that looks great. Even as a middle-aged man, I would consider wearing a John ja Morant Vancouver Grizzlies jersey just for something at the beach, right? I don't have the arms to really pull it off, but, man, it, like that's a good-looking jersey. I didn't have the problem with that because you're still it, repping it's a, our city. It, that's it, our town. It, it's a great-looking jersey. I, I'm not disrespecting the jersey. I'm just saying it feels like a slap in the face from the NBA to say, yeah, let's do this. For, for a city that wants an NBA franchise back and there is enough support for it, now I think it just feels not like enough a money. just a gentle reminder or not so gentle reminder of oh yeah this is something you had and we don't really plan on going back anytime soon <laughs> well I, I just yeah I, I just to me when else would you see that on display like when else would you see like realistically honestly do you think the NBA will be back here in the next five years yes or no no do you think the NBA would be here in the next 10 years? Yes or no? I would say 20 plus. Like it, it like probably I'll be a senior citizen if the NBA comes back here again. I might be like, a senior citizen. Shoot. <laughs> like the 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 reality is the money is just at this point right now for another NBA team in Canada. Like talk to, you know, Francesco Aquilini had even gone on record talking about this on this radio station, on this show two years ago. Like, just, it's too expensive. That's not to say that there's other billionaires who couldn't foot the bill, but, like, the going rate for an NBA franchise right now is at the, a minimum of $2 billion. U.S., right? In the economics, like, we need the dollar to swing in a massive way in order to facilitate the NBA coming back here. And I'd love to see it, man. And I think that there's a market and an appetite here in this town. There was 20 years ago. 
You yeah. just served up a dog's breakfast on the hardwood every night. Like, hey, what do you got tonight? I got poop emojis for you guys in Grizzlies uniforms, right? Like, the team was terrible. It's it's the one thing I'd say about, like, the NHL's stubbornness of working out with, like, Florida and Arizona, of, of just saying, hey, let's just live through the bad times. Eventually, we'll, we'll see good times. They stood by those franchises. For better or for worse, they stood by those franchises. The NBA didn't by Vancouver. And the NBA kind of needed that lesson of, okay, look, it's bad right now. It's not always going to be bad. Let's invest in the market rather than judge the team. And the NBA didn't do that. No, they certainly didn't. Um, another story that uh, is garnering some buzz uh, the over the last few days here in Canucks land has been the push on social media for Gino Ojic to go into the ring of honor. And, Vic, it's uh, man. I think we certainly know that Gino's got um, he has got a place in Canucks history. I guess it's just how much of a place in Canucks history at this point. And you know, uh, there's been a lot of discussions about it. There's been some articles uh, that have been picked up on the story as well. Um, I, I just wonder, and this goes back to what I wonder about the Ring of Honor. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Alex Burroughs going into the Ring of Honor, but I think to myself like. What is the Ring of Honor? Like, what is the criteria? Because if Gino goes in, popular guy, yes, tough as nails, absolutely lovable for sure. But Ring of Honor? I, I Like, as much as I like Gino and as much as I've enjoyed our conversations, I, I just don't know if I can go there. I have my own definition of what I think the Ring of Honor should be. And to, to be honest here, James, I, I'm kind of anti-Jersey retirements too. But based on what I think the Ring of Honor is, you're right. The, the Burroughs one kind of clouded it a bit. And now when you set a different precedent, it opens up all these other questions from fans of, oh, okay, what, what, what about this guy? What about Ryan Kessler? What about Bertuzzi? And now we're at a what about Gino Ojic phase of this. And Gino's got a tremendous piece of the Canucks lore. Absolutely. But I do think is is that ring of honor worthy? I, I by and large, I think the way the relationship works right now between the fans and Gene Ojek, I think it's perfect the way it is. And if you want to create something for him, I think that's fair. If you, if you want to create a part of Rogers Arena in the concourse and dedicate an area, uh, section three twenty nine or something like that, and and put a a shrine to Gino Ojic and here's the history and here's this moment. I think that would be fantastic, but you know, the, the name going up is a, a big honor. It's literally going into the ring of honor. I'm not sure if, if the career is uh, cause, cause there is a statistical element to that. And I, I'm not sure if it matches to, to be able to sit there. Well, and that's, and, and that's where you kind of, you go, okay, look, there's, there's intangibles that you cannot measure. Right. And I think there is something to that. And, and I think people would point to that with Alex Burroughs. Right. But it's also the I think you do need some sort of statistical evidence. Right. Beyond just penalty minutes. Um, yeah, because at to, least with Burroughs, there was a, a peak of goal scoring. Right. There was a run of time where it's all right. Like he fit in. He fit in with this line and it's incredible production. And there was also the element of. 
undrafted and, and constantly persevering and always working harder than the next guy. There's that element that every fan and every person can relate to. I don't know if that comes across with Gino Ojic the, the same way. No, and that's, you know, and, and that's it, right? Like, it, 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 I mean, Burroughs is the rags to riches story. He's the underdog you root for, but like, he only had four se- like he had four seasons of twenty goals or more, right? Or twenty five goals or more, right? That that period from like two thousand eight to twenty twelve, where twenty eight, thirty five, twenty six, twenty eight. You know, Tony Tanti's not in the Ring of Honor, and. Tony Tanti had five years of hitting almost 40 goals annually. Like, ridiculous numbers. But he played on horrible Canucks teams. So I think that kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. But Tony Tanti was the best player on a bad lot. Alex Burroughs was... Where would he rank in terms of the best players of that team in that era? He'd fall behind... Daniel, Henrik, Luongo, um, Kessler. At least three of the probably, you know, Would you take Bieksa? Would you rather have Bieksa or would you rather have Burroughs? But he probably he's probably fifth or sixth, maybe even seventh, depending on how much you value the blue line, right? Like whether you look at Dan Hamhuis or Alex Edler, you know, from some of those minutes, right? So that's where you start looking. Like Burroughs could anywhere be between five to ten on that roster for best players in that time, right? For that period in that 2011 Stanley Cup team, right? So with that in mind, like, where's where's Bertuzzi? Where's Bieksa? Where's Jovo? Where's Brendan Morrison? Where's Ryan Kessler? Like, all of those names would garner consideration now that Burroughs has gone up, and if Gino Ojic would be going up there in the Ring of Honor. Like, there's so many names that you now... It's like when Clark Gillies went into the Hall of Fame and was like, well, if he can go in, then why not? Yeah, but James, you knew this was going to happen, too. 650, 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Tanty didn't score the Slay the Dragon from Fathead Dave. And when you have an iconic moment like that, and you 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 share the, or you have the story that Alex Burroughs has that a lot of people can share of that rags to riches and hey I feel like I should always grind a bit more and it's an easy relatable story and then you pair it with that moment that's why it gets lofted up into the, the heights of the Ring of Honor for someone like Alex Burroughs and so it, it's easy to take another moment we were just talking about the West Coast Express right it, it, mm-hmm. people buy into this this era. And you think of that Burroughs moment, it felt like it was falling apart. Uh, the Canucks can never get over this hump over of the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. And then that goal goes in, and it creates a host of other memories for the next three rounds that, because Alex Burroughs scored that goal, it, it engineered a new love affair with the team. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, uh, it's the moments that you associate and there is that that love, but can you step back and be impartial at certain times? And I think sometimes we are so insulated with our feelings around said player or team that it's hard to kind of see the big picture. Agreed? Yeah, there's a prisoner of the moment aspect to it for sure. Yeah. Like, like think how long it took Matthias Oland to get in versus how long it took... Alex Burroughs to get in. 
for sure. And and look, like Ole was great. And like how much how much better could Matias Olin have been had he not suffered the eye injury, right? Mm-hmm. And and how like he was twenty five minutes a night of just automatic consistency. Um and as good as Matias was, like Eddie didn't necessarily have the longevity, but Jovanovski was a three time all star here. You know? Yeah, and and in the conversation uh, I mean, the, the, that conversation is going to get uh, put to bed pretty soon after a couple of years of Quinn Hughes. But Olin, Jovanovski, Edler uh, are the probably the biggest three conversations of best Canucks D-man. So it's worthy to put that name up there to say, this is the guy. This is someone we have to honor for so much of our, our franchise history. He was the best D-man in our history, so in our franchise. So it makes sense to put them up there. But uh, Quinn Hughes is going to change that conversation here after about year five. Um, there we go. Uh, you know, it's funny going back to the West Coast Express era. Um, you know, text coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. The West Coast Express era made me fall in love with the game. But the first ever hockey game was that Lidstrom goal from center ice. Oh, oh my man. god! Imagine that being your first game, man. You ever went to? Oh man, I I I, I empathize. I am sorry to hear that. Um, all right, we'll keep the conversation going. 26 minutes after 8 o'clock. He's Bick Nazar in for Perry Selkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Hey, if you missed it earlier, uh, there's a news conference uh, via video conference uh, with Kim Ng being introduced as the first women uh, female general manager in Major League Baseball history. Um, but long before Kim got into the front office, 32 years ago, Joanne Polak made history in the Canadian Football League when she was the first female GM in North American sports. She goes down memory lane and compares the journey now for Kim to her own, and we'll do that next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Got a text from Carl uh, suggesting, Vic, that, um, you know what, um, maybe do a walk of fame around the building at Rogers Arena. Maybe that might Love be it. something. Love it. Look, I, I, some like the Ring of Honor is a good idea uh, in general of, of celebrating certain players. That's absolutely a thing that every team should have. I'm... I'm anti-jersey retirements. I think it's cooler to wear the number and try to uphold the standard a player's created, and that's how you can keep a memory going on longer rather than just ending a number and saying, oh, yeah, let's try to remember this people, this person for their achievements. It's harder for someone 50 years mm. removed to to think of Stan Smeal and be like, oh, right. But would you, but would you should, be that, should, would you be that, that player? But would you be that player to go out and try to wear 99? Why not? Like It comes with a certain standard. It, it comes with a certain... Yeah, I, I've got to try to do this, right? And and teams should hand those numbers out selectively to say, if if you have a Sidney Crosby level talent, you say, look, we trust this guy can do this. If he wants to create his own legacy on a different number, sure, but we trust this guy can do this. That's an element to that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Like, I look at Bertuzzi War forty four. Now, I'm not suggesting that they should ever consider retiring the number uh, forty four here based on the body of work. But do you not chuckle at some of the individuals that have worn 44 after? Like Eric Goodbranson, you know, mm-hmm. Tyler Gravac. You know, it's, it, there's a it standard. It looks kind of weird, right? right? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't necessarily, 
doesn't necessarily match up to the 44 you envisioned, right? Like it's it's one of those things. Matt Markowski, I think, wore 44 as well. Nolan Baumgartner in version yep. 2.0 wore, uh, wore 44 for a brief while. But uh, Nelson and Cologne on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Key players on teams that make the finals should be ring of honor. Um yeah, I, I think that I think there's something to be said about that. Um, I guess it's just how deep on the roster do you go? Gary's saying, "Are you guys nuts?" Burroughs scored arguably the biggest goal in Canucks history. I don't dispute that, but you know, Alex Burroughs, you could make the argument like Paul Henderson, right? And and one of the reasons about whoa, Paul whoa, Henderson whoa, no, and you the can't hesitation make that that's that's the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes, we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks Ring of Honor. Those yes, are two different levels. A hundred percent. But hear me out on this. Like one of the so the debate for Paul Henderson is that he should go in the Hall of Fame because of the iconic goal he scored and what it meant, right? And I think Alex Burroughs goes into the Ring of Honor. Is it his body of work, or is it the fact that he scored the biggest goal in Canucks history? Like I don't think there's a bigger goal in Canucks history than slay the dragon. Right, I mean the Burray goal was pretty big. Yeah. Um, the Greg Adams was pretty big, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody's voting against Slay the Dragon, you know, in a 2020 world right now. And I think part of that is it's it's a moment that Burroughs scored. Like if that's if it wasn't Burroughs who scored that goal, and it say somebody else, like are they going to the Ring of Honor? Oh man, that's such a loaded question because you yeah. can choose whoever you want. Um, probably not, but it's 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 the guy for the moment, right? It yeah. was it, it was the right guy to do it, especially in the context of that game too. Going back to all the chances he had, but it, look, it was him that scored it. But it, this is an enshrinement into the Hockey Hall of Fame. His jersey's not even retired here. Somebody wants to wear fourteen, like nobody has worn fourteen since. But somebody wanted to wear fourteen, they still can. It, it's it's the right level of tribute. It's it's just you're you're honored. You're we are forever thinking of you as far as Canucks history. That's all it is to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier this morning, we caught up with, uh, like, hey, today is a historical day as um, Kim Ng, the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, the first female general manager in the history of Major League Baseball, is being unveiled at a uh, during a video news conference this morning. And uh, earlier this morning, we had a chance to catch up with the OG of boss ladies in sports world, and that was Joanne Polak, who was originally the first female general manager in North American sports for the Ottawa Rough Riders in the Canadian Football League. She joined us bright and early this morning, and we got her reaction to the news when she heard that Kim Ng was taking over in Miami last weekend. Well, honestly, first, I, I saw it on Twitter. I saw, um, actually, uh, somebody you know tweeted out, so I, right away I, I read it. And then I, I sort of started to look her up and learn more about her. And I thought, wow, this is, she is something. And look at her qualifications. And then somebody said, oh, she's, she's, you know, then I realized that she was the first in Major League Baseball and really the first in, in the U.S. And, and at the time, everybody said, you know, she's the first ever. And then some um, helpful Canadian fans corrected that. But uh, I really started to look at her story and see that she is the real deal like this woman is remarkable and she deserves this job and probably should have got it got a gm job a few years ago well you 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 highlighted that at the end there of of just uh, clearly this is something that should have happened years ago or are you surprised that it's been this long from when you were managing a team to now 
shocked. And and in fact, I, um, I I just assumed that there had been some others that had happened that I just didn't know about. Honestly, um, I didn't. Um, I, I I I just figured if I if I looked or if I Googled or if I you know sort of spent any time looking at the other leagues that I probably would find someone. And then when it became such a big deal, and especially in the U.S. media and in the Canadian media, that she was the first. I just it kind of took me aback. And I, I realized that if, if 30 years ago when I was when I had the job, if someone told me I would be having this conversation 30 years from now, I would have thought that that was inconceivable. Joanne Pollock with us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. So when you go back to the day that you were hired by the Ottawa Rough Riders, you know, did you have did you understand like the history of the of the announcement at the time or were you just kind of hey this is this is kind of cool like i got a seat at the table here well i well both well first i knew it was a big deal because of the amount of media attention it got at the time mm-hmm. like it was a it was a big big story at the time there were a lot of people who you know who were you know we didn't have as much sports radio as we have now but there were a lot of people who were saying this is a bad idea she never played football she couldn't really know anything about it what why does she belong and then others who were on my side so it was quite a conversation but but something that i that i forgot about very quickly when i got right into the job of, of, of you know trying to run a bankrupt franchise so the whole um woman it, it was very much woman in a man's world and all of the first female and all of that that just ended up being annoying noise to me when all of a sudden I'm just trying to make payroll and I'm trying to keep a, a franchise afloat at, at was I would ar- say arguably one of the most difficult times in CFL history. Well, that that white noise element to it is because the job of being a general manager is already difficult enough. And I think there's a lot of misguided yeah. ideals of, well, if you inject a woman into the franchise or as a, as a power position, there's all these other elements. Did you ever experience any obstacles outside of the actual jobs job description? Lots. I mean, there was, again, in mind, it was a different time in society. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, you know, a, a pretty stuff that would never be tolerated today. You know, there was one uh, coach of the year conference or coach of the year dinner was held at the Weston Hotel in Edmonton, and it was broadcast on TSN. And uh, three of the of the uh, coaches basically got up and told raunchy Joanne Polek jokes, and everybody was laughing, and the camera was on me, and I was just like, oh, that was annoying. But, uh, you know, but, but I couldn't look like I was pissed off and I couldn't look like I was laughing. So I had a headache. Then I went up to my room and the phone, the light was on and I called and it was my mother. And my mother and father had watched the whole thing on television from their home. And my mother was in tears. You know, so there were moments like that that were very difficult, mostly because they were difficult for other people. But for as many people who were in that camp, there was way more who were in my corner and who wanted me to succeed and who were on my side. And that included... My whole team, all of the players, um, all of the football fans in Ottawa, pretty much. I mean, we had, they were in my corner. So it was, I always look at the positive things that were happening, which far outweighed the negative things that were happening. Do you think that here now in 2020, the landscape has changed that much? You know, there was, (laughs) my better half, she was just sharing with me a story or a report the other day that, It'll take a hundred years from now before we see equal pay for men and women in the workplace. Um, do you think that? Do you think that that Kimming is still going to have to deal with barriers to break down here in 2020, Joanne? No, I think she's just broken down the big barrier. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of other people who are going to have to break down barriers, but I think she, she's accepted. She's respected. I think the people in the industry, I think the people in sports are really good people. They're progressive. They're younger, um, yeah, younger than me. Everybody's younger than me, but I think they're, they're good people. The problem with professional sports is it's a culture of insecurity. So people who are basically at the helm of professional sports teams and who are executives at, spe- uh, at ex- professional sports teams, they're running a multi, multi-billion dollar businesses and they um, are in the spotlight like the rest of business and society isn't. So every move they make is, is you know, basically covered by you guys. And they also, it, it's a very nomadic business. So, you know, you're in it for a few years, you're fired, you move on to the job. So that creates a culture of insecurity. That's why you find often when a coach, a head coach is hired, he only brings his group with him and people he trusts because they're always looking over their shoulders going, is that guy going to stab me in the back and try to get my job? Like that's what the, that's what it's like. So it's very difficult for anybody in that kind of a dynamic or that kind of an environment to make big, bold choices like this. Like, I think there's a lot of people who thought Kim is really the right person for the job, but do I really want to be that much on the radar? Well, it takes a guy like Derek Jeter, right? Who's got his legacy cemented, who doesn't have this, the insecurity that others would to go, Hey, this is a great idea. And she, he worked with her at the Yankees. She absolutely is the best person for the job. Joanne, what's, what's the next step to you as far as how does this become we're spending two days, four, four days talking about this. Uh, what's the next thing that has to happen that this becomes normalized? You got to fill the pipeline. There has to be a lot of jobs that have to look because look at it. It took Kim three decades, right? To work her way to GM. The pipeline is very thin when it comes to women. There are very few. Um, I think there are very few women at the executive table. It's, it, there's more, you know, back in my day, there was none. You know, so a good example is in the NFL. Oh, one sec, sorry. In the NFL, um, you know, there's there was only, a woman just got fired last week. She was the only uh, VP of communications in the entire NFL. Well, a VP of communications, that's a, women have been dominant in that field for 20 years. There's no reason why there, the, the um, you know, the NFL only has one VP uh, who is a woman, uh, you know, a VP of communications. So the pipeline and all of those other jobs have to fill up and then allow them the chance to be able to work their way up to general manager. And so right now I'm not, I'm not sure there's a lot of Kimmings in the wings because I'm not sure that there's a lot of people there with her, as she says, decades of determination. Joanne, uh, you were the original boss lady and it, uh, it's unfortunate that it took what 30 plus years to see another one, but, uh, thank you for kind of sharing your own experiences. And, and hopefully this is now the, as somebody who's a father of daughters, here's hoping that, uh, this becomes more the new norm going forward. No, you're, you're very welcome. And thank you for being interested in my story. And one more thing before you get to that, uh, Bill's Arizona game, um, <laughs> you know, go easy on my poor Buffalo Bills. Oh, was that a heartbreaker? Or what? what was your reaction to that? It never should have caught down to that play. The Bills played horrible. Their offense was horrible, and their offense shouldn't have been. I mean, the penalties, you know, interceptions, the punt, the, that punt that resulted in three points. By the time it got down to that that last, uh, you know, that, that incredible catch in the end zone, it never should have got to that. That's my oh, view. <laughs> I, I, I empathize. I, you know, watch so many lean Bills years. Uh, I still think they're for real in the AFC, but, yeah, that that one hurt, Joanne. Uh, you got a week to shake it off, though, okay? Yeah, that's they're gonna be they're gonna be thinking about that for two weeks, and that's not a bad thing.
There she is, Joanne Polak, uh, the former general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders in the Canadian Football League 32 years ago and uh, relating to a historical announcement over the last few days, Kim Ng now taking over as the general manager with the Miami Marlins in Major League Baseball and still a diehard football fan, still a season ticket holder in the nation's capital with the Ottawa Red Blacks and still a passionate Buffalo Bills fan agonizing over what went down yesterday, Bick. Yeah, uh, shout out to the uh, Arizona Cardinals for picking up that W, much to the chagrin of every Seahawks fan, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. with a minute to go, it felt like the Seahawks, okay, yeah, they lost to the Rams, but they were going to get away with it because the Cardinals are going to lose and the 49ers lost. And, and it felt like, okay, if we can just rebound on Thursday night and you can take control of the NFC West. Well, the Cardinals come back, win that game, lead the division. Seahawks slip all the way to third in the division. and It it, it makes Thursday versus the Cardinals all the more important uh, after the Cardinals managed to pull out that win. 100%. All right, 846, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show, and we'll do that next right here on Sportsnet 650. Starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, nine minutes to uh, nine o'clock. Sabolski, uh, Dick Nazar hanging out these last few hours uh, in for Perry Solkowski. Good times, man. It was a lot of fun. I love to wake up at 6 a.m. Actually, 5 a.m. It's great. <laughs> if, I, if I ever was going to wake up that early, it's for two reasons. Yeah. Airport pickups or hanging out with you, so I, I'm happy. Well, it's, it's nice of you to say. Uh, by the way, uh, the Scott Rental Show coming your way at the top of the clock. It is um, Nick Taylor, who uh, just finished up at Augusta, will uh, will join Scotty today. So uh, looking forward to that conversation there. Uh, maybe it was a little creepy what you just mentioned, but, you know, uh, waking up with you, I could, I could think of worse things. I mean, after having spent the last two and a half years with Perry waking up with him. So nice to uh, nice to have some bacon instead of oatmeal all the time, you know? I, I, am I bacon in this um, <laughs> scenario here? Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll, we'll give you bacon. More importantly, Perry is oatmeal. Man, <laughs> well, poor guy's away for it. one it's day. Like and comfort, he's getting, right? Just, yeah, getting crushed this way. There you go. Exactly. You got to keep them. You got to keep them accountable somehow, some way. Uh, okay, so hey, Monday night or tonight? It's the Bears and the Vikes. Uh, where do you lean uh, for your for your picks if you're if you're in on this one? Ooh, if I'm uh, making a, a wager tonight, uh, yeah. probably on the Bears. I know uh, I, I'm not just saying that because uh, you're the Bears guy. No, but, I like I like uh, Chicago too. Yeah, the home underdog angle to this. So I would on prime time, I would generally lean that way. And you're right; like the, the Bears defense doesn't get talked enough about of how of how good it is. And last I saw, it was like three and a half points. So that's where I would lean. Yeah, Vikes, uh, Vikes three-point favorites uh, right now, and the over/under set at forty-three and a half. Do you take one thing I'd under? say though is the Bears' defense. The one flaw they have is stopping the run, and mm-hmm. right now Dalvin Cook is among the best running backs in the league. So that, that's something. If they can slow that down, then it, it creates a lot of problems for Kirk Cousins. And he's good to go. Uh, hey, listen, man, awesome job. Thanks for hanging out these last few hours. It's fun. Uh, I think it goes without saying. Uh, we joke about it all the time on this radio station, on all the shows and all the platforms, that you're the hardest working guy here at 650. But uh, I, I think it's, you know, there's truth in all sarcasm. And legitimately, man, you are the jack of all trades. And uh, 
a lot of people with some uh, some nice glowing comments as well. So uh, thanks for doing this, and, and keep up the awesome every uh, weekday afternoon on not only with Football Central at noon, but uh, also uh, on the program, uh, keeping both sat and walks accountable there, buddy. Well, now I'm going to be emotional for the rest of the day, but uh, thank you, yes. I'll be back at noon with Jamie Dodd for Football Central, uh, and uh, any time that I can jump in, let me know. There you go. Uh, we got to get out of here. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way in a matter of moments for our producer, Mike English, uh, DJ APD, Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. He's Bick Nazar. I'm James Sabalski. We're back at it. Same bad time, same bad channel. Tomorrow morning right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.